Hey, welcome to another episode of Bants with me. Thank you for your feedback. I think I will be recording a few more of these. The reception of the first episode with Jackson was really great. This episode has a workmate, colleague, friend, Tom on, Tom Mooney, an author. Um, just an all-around good guy. He's a level designer at Granny Gear. Tom, do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, hello. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to be here. Uh, I was super interested in Jax's talk, so when Sav invited me to have a stab at it, I was quite keen. Yeah. So some of the stuff we're talking about is uh, on the topic of art and ideas and personal adventures. And interests. It's hard to describe for the benefit of other people. Um, like We're conscious that we know each other uh, reasonably and that other people may have no clue where we're coming from. Yeah. But we're trying to get across some of the ideas and inspirations that that we have. And uh, I just thank Seth for allowing me time to soak out ideas in a, in a long format. Yeah, and it was awesome to have you on. Thank you, Tom. Take it away. <laughs> Do we want to start from the start, or do you want to... What is the start, though? The start would be your beginning. No, I don't know about that. You, you don't want to talk about it? Probably just start about who I am like now, right? Or what am I doing now? Like, if, if you think that's... I, I think the actual beats... Hmm. You know, you've travelled. Yeah. You've taught. You've... Um, you've. I, I bet the 3D scene was like completely different when you were growing up. Yeah. You don't think that's interesting to talk about? <laughs> um... Do you have something on your mind? Like there is an elephant in the room, and maybe maybe we want to just talk about that. I don't talk about that. That would be good, but you know, immediately, right? Yeah, I'm interested to talk about that actually. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd like to talk more about internal concerns and worries, and like stuff that might actually be interesting for people to feel some tension about, as opposed to my past, which is like almost like this fictional story from 20 I, year, 30 years ago that's like so i mean even i have trouble remembering stuff that's cool and, <laughs> just whatever you do remember yeah, yeah. I, I i still think that's really interesting that you because yeah you grew up in dunedin yeah well okay so here's the thing i want to talk about is like um okay if you don't know a thing i'm talking about mm. that's can be tricky right right mm. Let's say you've never been to Dunedin, and mm. I start rambling on about Dunedin. Mm-hmm. You won't have any frame of reference for what I'm saying. That's but. fine. You can keep going into describing Dunedin. It's, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> I, I don't need the frame of reference. You just yeah. give me whatever you feel is necessary for your story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, yeah, like you grew up in, you, you were born in Dunedin. You grew up there. Um, have we started? Well, we have started. Oh, geez. We started like 10 minutes ago. Ah, me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lure you into like a false sense of security. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're talking about so you. So you don't have like a... A gong? Hi, I'm Severin, <laughs> this is the, the podcast and, and you're on... We yeah. do that right at the end. Oh, I see. And um, oh, you cut it up and play around with it. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm not sure if you heard the Jackson episode, but... Yeah, I did. And I realized that you'd done a little post-record thing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. hoping to do a similar thing with this one. Yeah, that's fine. I just wasn't sure whether I should be <laughs> talking in the right register or whatever. One and, thing I've like, noticed is that people are nervous when I do that shit. And, yeah. and I also, like, put myself in a very nerve-wracking state. Yeah, well, most of the interviews I've ever seen, people that, that have, like, a little sheet of notes and stuff so they don't sit around going and while um 
now we'll talk about <laughs> something like that. So I think that's a good thing to do. But if you don't have it, we don't need to worry about it. I mean, we just covered some topics to talk about. So yeah. I guess since we started, let's talk about what I'm doing now. So for five years, yeah, as opposed to your 10 years, I've been doing game making. Yeah. You've been <laughs> and, working at Path of uh, yeah, Grindr, yeah. 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 And in the in the studio kind of scheme where someone else kind of determines what this game is about and you're there to help it come about, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and so, like, okay, before I was doing that, I had had some game experience, but it was nothing quite as, like, you know, let's say industrial, like... What do you mean by that? like uh there was more they weren't exactly indie companies because they were commercial games yeah but they were small scale i see and they were you wore many hats yeah and and even i was a novice much more yeah and all that kind of stuff what what Um, before grinding gear what was that like how large was the studio um can you talk about what you were working on yeah so for games it's in three main categories Mm. there's like russia where they had Almost like guys doing it for the love of it, <laughs> for almost no pay. Like, awesome. Okay. The, barely, but there was a lot of passion. Barely yeah. enough to live on. Yeah. And even in Russia's cheap, barely enough to live on. Yeah. And for me, it was like, yeah, I'm finally doing this thing I wanted to do when I was awesome. when I was younger, right? And like they were very great guys to work with, and yeah. they, they did some interesting stuff. But it felt very, you know, building a ladder as you go kind of thing. Okay. And they yeah, had like a, the technology was moving as you were developing the game yeah that kind of thing yeah and uh, you know the kind of game they were making is not around now really it's like maybe on like indie games on steam yeah um so you know like those kind of point and click story adventures yeah where where you have like a background yes really beautifully rendered by some painter or whatever with a little bit of 3d elements split so Mm -hmm. it has depth but um and then you might have a 3d model of a character superimpose into that yeah and and it might move Right. Right. And yeah. say stuff. Yeah, I know the ones. But mostly, about. it's like a text-based dialogue, click clicker adventure mm-hmm. with like points on the screen where you can interact. Yeah, and and the mouse cursor would change when you went over an area of interest. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, very much like King's Quest and mm-hmm. Space Quest, that kind of stuff. But it was with a Russian context. Yeah. So, so, so it was actually kind of crazy. Um, the the guy who was the founder of the studio mm-hmm. was an author, and his book was somewhat popular enough that he could build a studio that's cool how many staff they, they, they had like 50 people maybe <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even sure right because lots of them and mm. uh, I, I only dealt with like four people in the whole place but mm. um animation stuff yeah and uh so this guy was relatively popular um it looked like a young adult sci-fi book and uh so he was the boss that everybody knew about the publisher was 1c which is a very big publisher for russia and mm-hmm. they our QA manager guy, Alex, was from there. Right? So, oh, really? Yeah. So, but every Russian company seems to have this mafia um, kind of crossover kind of thing going on. Huh. <laughs> so they had this other guy who was a boss who was like kind of the, the money guy. Mm. And he was a super mafia looking and very... Uh, Describe so, this guy. He's got a, a mustache. Looks like a bouncer. <laughs> uh, very much in the sense of like he's intimidating a, yeah like a movie character russian guy yeah kind of, you know. um never spoke to me the whole time but you know looked at me funny like who's this foreign guy jeez <laughs> you know 
And when I left, I was like, can I have some money? Because I'm leaving. <laughs> so that guy? <laughs> and he was just silently giving me some money. And all yeah, he pulled out this roll of hundreds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like that. Um, so it was my last salary. You know, I'm, I'm off. And he was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he apologized to you. Because English was even more limited than my Russian, which is almost nothing. So it's kind of a very strange <laughs> and surreal moment. How, but, how long were you there for? Uh, well, I, I worked... Okay, that game was like a year, maybe, I'm not sure, mm. something like that. But I worked in a little TV studio, which was equally weird. Yeah. Most film, which is the big film studio that Russia's famous for, they have an animation unit, actually, which is not well known. How did you even get there? Oh, uh, to, to Russia at all? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so because... w- w- when I graduated art school, yeah. I worked in a little documentary animation job and didn't like it. And so I said, all right, I'm going overseas. This that year. was in New Zealand. Yeah, because I wanted to do game stuff, right? So yeah. In, in the past, there was this thing called happypuppy.com, which was like a job board for game industry. Right. Um, it's long been replaced by equivalent things. Yeah. I guess you'd go to art station jobs now. For, mm. you know. So I went from art school to a little job, didn't like it, went overseas with no money whatsoever, going, I can make it. <laughs> and wow. uh, in London, I kind of I had some job applications and went to some job interviews, but I didn't really land on anything because I was kind of totally out of school noob, right? Yeah. And um, How, how not, old not were you like, at the time? Oh. Early 20s. Early 20s, yeah. Not like you getting a job out of school because you're good. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I had graduated, but it was still not very good. Wait, what do you know about me, man? <laughs> Well, you got a job at Granny Video Games out of school, so doesn't that, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how do you know I was good? Well, I, I could tell you, I, you know, I, I it's don't work, think, It's worked out well for you, right? <laughs> I, I don't think I'm, like, fantastic now. Yeah. No, no you're, you're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose track of where I'm at. <laughs> sorry, sorry, you're in London. Yeah, so I was in London, and I actually worked at a backpacker's cleaning, yeah. like, for a place to stay, which went on for uh quite a while because like if you're all you're doing is cleaning and uh going for a walk and then like cleaning in the evening again and there's a day that you don't you're not making any money but you're surviving so you know i I shed lots of weight and i um barely sustained an existence for quite a while and then one day i saw an ad for an english teaching thing in russia so i phoned them up and so i talked to this guy on the phone yeah and he was like yeah come over this is the bouncer you're talking to (laughs) no no no, this this is an english company oh right teachers in moscow and he was like yeah come over and he sounded like he was from like east london or something Mm. like cockney guy yeah Yeah. does this sound suspicious like you see a flyer for like english jobs (laughs) in, in london yeah no it was legit okay and um so I, I taught there for six months, then winter started, and I was like, this is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Because there's not a good salary, and you have to go through to Moscow in the winter. And so well, I, what are I, the I temperatures? Like, need, it's like negative 40. I don't need this. Okay. Um, but <laughs> because I, it was I so mixed, cold? Yeah, because so, I had no money, and, oh, it, right. and it was so cold, right? Yeah. Um, so I went back to New Zealand. I had another job just doing character animation of, like, you know, um, you know, interstitial graphics and documentaries where they try to demonstrate some principle or something yeah like momentum of a thing or how, yeah, yeah. how high can an animal jump compared to it yeah know? normally a narrator is describing a thing <clears> and <throat> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so we did a whole series of this um me and another dude and uh that was quite a fun job and i learned a lot about character rig and animation yeah mm. um was it in maya no it was in 3d max right there's a little story there but um i'll try to get back to the russia part 
because I think that's really the start of my career. In New Zealand, the animation stuff was kind of like, felt like, like study. Yeah. Even though it was a job, both cases that I had. That, for the TV stuff, it was like you were just like training. Yeah. What, what year <laughs> was, was this? Um, 2000 to 2002 or three. I, I can tell you when, when I studied mm. in 2005, it was like the Wild West. Mm. 3D programs and people teaching it were just like winging it. It was the most. Uh, mm. Now that you know, uh, there are practices, and you can actually find information that would guide you a certain direction. But back then, it was like, it was just people teaching you the fundamentals of three D. It wasn't yeah. really in depth or anything. Yeah, you barely had the internet, and you had to read books. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the manual for three D Max was this massive, like nine volume, thousands and thousands of pages book. And I actually enjoyed reading it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we didn't. I mean, the internet came out during that time, and we Googled away eventually. But it took a long time before there was good tutorial content that we could access, and even like maybe there was it was there for a long time before we knew about it. To be honest, yeah. So I kind of felt like I trained myself and those around me helped, but I never really had good training. Yeah. So so to quickly talk about 3D Max, the guy that I worked with on the documentary jobs, he was the guy that came out with Cat, which you might not have heard of because you're a Maya guy. (laughs) But um, 3D Max started off with this thing called Biped, which was like a built-in rig, Mm. and it was kind of cumbersome. So my colleague came up with Cat, which was a character animation toolkit, and it just blew up over... It was like a really lightweight rig, mm. really easy to create. Um, is it sort of a, a walk cycle generator inside of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really easy to create creature rigs as well as human, human rigs yeah. and uh, and loops of the motion. It, so it was okay. a really nice motion um, thing for learning about motion. I, I think I saw it. Is it the one where you would you would generate and it would put footprints down on the ground and yeah, then yeah, yeah you would just scrub through the timeline. Yeah, kind and of. It would just might be the foot thing too. Oh, okay. Um, but it just was harder to use. Right? Okay. Um, so Cat actually eventually got integrated into 3D Max. Cool. Um, so he so, actually yeah. ended up working for yeah. Uh, it was 3D super Studio? super strange path for him. And like I don't know, <laughs> this is uh, meant to be like I'm talking about what I was doing, but <laughs> <laughs> the path of that software was crazy because like, okay, it got sold to Softimage, not Autodesk. Ah, okay. Right? Before Softimage got acquired, right? <laughs> <laughs> Softimage, if you don't know, is called XSI, XSI and yeah. it got acquired by Autodesk, and then it got sunk, like super, just cancelled, basically. Yeah. I guess for competitive reasons. And, but some of the, the the cat thing got integrated to 3D Max eventually. Phil Taylor, who was the guy that came up with this, he went into this kind of engineering development state in Canada where they made this thing called Fabric Engine. Okay. Which is a little bit like Houdini, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. Interesting. It's a it's for programming tools for art production it was cg production and it was super good yeah but it also kind of eventually uh, it got used a lot at the mill or really big yeah film production studios houses. yeah yeah where they might have the resources to have dedicated programmers on this really niche stuff sure um and it was super great like i was like this uh, probably should have become like a standard mm. you know but it's hard stuff right so yeah. so think, he's he, he's there now no, that, that, that kind of wound it up, and um, he's still in Canada, I think, but he's doing his own stuff with, like, um, a little bit of, like, architectural visualization yeah. stuff, but in the engineering direction. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, so so the reason why it's still interesting to talk about Cat <laughs> is because in Russia, where we, where I was working on this point-and-click adventure game, yeah. the guy that was kind of the lead was using Cat, and I was like, that's just 
Cool. Right. So we <laughs> used both it. We actually used it in our production, and uh, he developed a dialogue system for it, which was like very cool. You know, you could talk into it, and it would use all the you know phonemes are like the mouth shapes, right? Yeah. So you have a library of phonemes, and you take your audio clip, and it would just it would make the face move. Yeah. But, so okay, they did, they did, he made this cool little plugin which was just really easy to use and had smiley emojis for the icons and <laughs> and uh, so we used that to do all the character stuff and then like you know when you ship a game hmm. they kind of put it all like into the final um, yeah you package it yeah back CDs or whatever the fuck back then <laughs> and uh, floppy disk it turned out the dialogue compression for the animation oh, no. was just like massive okay <laughs> the files are huge yeah bigger than the rest of the game and so they're like oh, uh, <laughs> We're gonna have to make it so the characters just go open mouth, close mouth. Oh no! <laughs> In order for, to compress. Yeah, them. okay, yeah. I know what you're so, talking about. You, you, yeah. yeah, because you you were actually storing blend shapes for each of the mouth poses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. he was he was devastated, and he kind of got a little bit in trouble, you know, because that's the kind of stuff a manager will blame you about, right? <laughs> and I, I was sitting there going, "Phew, I'm glad I'm just the guy that does like rig, rigs the." character and makes it move <laughs> its arms and you know walks across the screen and stuff like ah. basic animation yeah so yeah i guess like what i'm saying is technically i began as a a character animator and rigger and yeah. it's the stuff i don't do any, anymore yeah hardly at all right? i didn't know this about you yeah so, so it's kind of funny at ggg i i do literally no animation whatsoever yeah um and animation is actually really nice yeah, of course. Have you spoken to the animators at Grinding yet? No, I kind of just think you guys are using... Um, like, the methods are all the same, but the, the computers are faster, and the the complexity of what I had to do versus what they have to do is way different. Yeah. You know the thing, like, when you look back at a game, which was actually, like, say, Tomb Raider 3, yeah. and you just go, this is ridiculously basic looking? Yeah. It's kind of, that's the time period we're talking about. Yeah, they had, like, 30 bones and, like, their character rigs, their main character rigs. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, you might have two hand poses, kind of thing, holding a gun and fist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even in, in Tomb Raider 3, they didn't even have facial expressions at all. Mm. She just runs around with a blank face. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is uh, too low. <laughs> All right, so you're in Russia. I quite like talking about that Russian job stuff because in my mind it was quite a traumatic um, but useful experience. I'm sure you learned like, you know, Yeah, you know how they say like, a, you know, time puts a rosy glow on the past and all that? Like at the time it was quite... Oh, in hindsight you mean? Yeah. 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 So, you, you know, you, you're still learning even though you have bad experiences and maybe you incur some wounds which make you, I don't know, behave a certain way, mm. but... Those experiences were quite extreme, so that has a, had an interesting outcome. What do you mean? You're talking about pressure on you to perform, to, to actually... Well, working rigs. working in a studio where you're the only person, or the, I mean, the guy I worked with, maybe like two or three people spoke English. I literally dealt with like one or two people in the whole studio because... Because of language nobody barrier? Else, nobody else spoke English. Yeah. Right. So I had a few jobs like that. Yeah. And and then there's like, like Russia, at least 10 years ago, was harder to live in many cities in the world but yeah. you, you you said you went there for a girl yeah that must have eased you into it maybe you were learning Russian uh, well. uh, yeah sure I learned some Russian but really not enough didn't to, make it easier not enough to have a conversation certainly like I learned to read yeah I could you know all that kind of stuff how, how long were you there for the second time four years I yeah. think I, I kind of did a little jumping around between England and my mother was English I can go there so, you know, I kind of went back and forth a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never spent a whole winter in Russia. 
Right. Yeah. Just because so, they're so miserable. Well, if you don't have to do it, <laughs> just, you, you kind of just get tired of it and leave. You know, it's, it's like if you've got the opportunity to go, you, you, yeah, you, you have you to take be, it. You have to be pretty tied to something to to really want to stay in in some harsh climate or whatever, right? What What made you leave Russia? Um, I I have a feeling I know what that is. Let's see what I remember. Okay, so I was sitting. You you know you know um. What's his name? The the Scott Robertson, the the drawing guy. Um, he does tutorials on rendering. Okay, um, I, I don't know this guy. Okay, so you probably have heard of him. He's got a website called DrawThrough.com from like way back, and it's about drawing cars and robots and stuff. Mm-hmm. He does these amazing tutorials on rendering shadows and light, like in perspective, cor- yeah. correctly. So I was talking. About I was learning his stuff, and I was talking to this guy from Korea called Ed Lee, mm. who was also a concept artist. Because mm. at the time, what I wanted to do with my life was concept art. I wanted to be like the Chander, you know, my time. Okay. <laughs> Chander is a concept artist at work that is, you know, very an up-to-date, very young guy who's going places and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's kind of what I aspire to, to mm. be honest. Um, so I was learning from what I could find about concept art mm. and this guy Ed Lee offered me a teaching job in Korea yeah so I was like fuck Moscow <laughs> <laughs> you, you just looked at the climate and you were like yeah I'm yeah, out of here yeah. so I never ever ever imagined I would go to Korea but like when a nice job comes along you kind of think about it yeah, short yeah pretty quickly how long did you think about that for oh the time that it takes to prepare to change countries and like documentation or stuff like that takes like weeks and weeks and weeks yeah the decision to actually go there was like literally immediate i was like yeah this is this is a sweet offer and i was like i can't miss this and it was touch and go like they had problems with visas and i had to get all this documentation proof of work for like since forever which was really hard because i was traveling yeah like when you travel like you kind of have to carry around everything documentation and stuff from that proves who you are yeah of course not just your passport but um medical stuff or uh, um history of water bills it's <laughs> really crazy right it's a lot easier now because we can just put it all in dropbox and yeah. it's, you know, at the time you kind of had to have in your backpack a little file of, of, of important documents of, yeah yeah um so i struggled to get the job procedure completed and that was super really when I actually got there it was kind of like this is a strange job there's like it was one it was one of the top nine universities in Korea mm. but it felt real empty okay like it had just been built yeah but there was nobody there huh. <laughs> like it was super new it was a beautiful place it was up on a big mountain yeah and uh, you could see over the whole of the city yeah it was the city of Busan which okay. is south of the bottom of South Korea right, right. Um, yeah I went to Seoul a couple of times but it's uh, just a different place. It's like the difference between Auckland and Christchurch. Okay. Yeah. So it's um very pretty town. I was super happy to be there. It was great. I had good pay and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. But the job itself was like, this is like a storybook of teaching. <laughs> it's not like real teaching. <laughs> so I felt like it was a fiction. Huh. <laughs> you know. So I taught, it was really interesting. I taught life drawing. Yeah. <laughs> how good are you at life drawing i was pretty good like awesome. it was one of the things that at art school it was yeah. kind of my speciality right um right. 
I added life drawing in 3D basically yeah. towards the end that was the things I got into wow um, and uh, so yeah teaching life drawing teaching 3D um, yeah. I tried to persuade these Maya user guys to try out Moto. oh okay <laughs> <laughs> and they were like what the hell is this you know because <laughs> it had just come out and I, you know they probably were like this guy doesn't know what he's even doing right were you into Moto it was so, as well it was so new at the time and I was like I can see this this is a pretty interesting software yeah but it was really hard to persuade anybody that this was worth looking at yeah, but, if you're trying to like still around and it has grown, it is it's it awesome. quite a robust software. Yeah, yeah, but it's still kind of like this like we're not very well known. It's not a giant, right? You know what I mean? M- Moto um, is interesting because um, it came out, and I had a friend of mine who was convincing me to to move to Moto. All the while, like Blender just kept picking up, yeah. and like Blender is that now like yeah, I, I think I'd say that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, th- I think if if anyone's listening to this and wants to pick up three D software. Like Blender is that software, and yeah. it's and it's really getting good. Yeah. So Korea, uh, I eventually left because I got a game job in Australia. Um, the girls were involved here as well. To be honest, <laughs> not, not girls at like multiple girls. I mean, <laughs> a, a girl before and a girl at that time. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I was trying to. I got engaged, and uh, wow, we were trying to like find a place where we could. In Korea. Well, she came to Korea. We wanted to go to Australia and uh, eventually New Zealand, I guess. She got refused to be there for Australia and things kind of evaporated away, which uh, is kind of bad. Yeah. Um, but I learned a few things on at the time. Like, you know, when you kind of learn, maybe this person's not the right person. Hmm. Because so, it kind of puts you um, yeah, like in that. The struggle to you know figure shit out actually exposes us. Yeah, there's a lot of tension yeah, yeah. dealing with that. Yeah, so I kind of had this like, I'm not, I don't regret that <laughs> <laughs> too much. Huh. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened if, you know, this, everything is kind of like flicking towards one direction or another. Yeah. And it just does. And, you know, so there's a whole pipeline of stuff that never happens. That, yeah, in a parallel universe. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but um, I'm not too worried about it. Um, so uh, I ended up in Australia going, well, okay, girlfriend not here, but this is fine, you know. Yeah. Which, was, part, which part of Australia? It was in Melbourne, and the game studio was Taurus Games. Which, mm. Hello, Taurus Games. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they do, well, they're still around. They do licensed games for, like, we did Monster Jam. You know how Monster Jam is actually a TV show? I, I haven't well, that, heard of it. Monster Jam's big trucks, right? Okay. Like, um. Monster trucks? Yeah, they have names. Like, there's a dog one and a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I forget. But. Is it like a children's TV show? <laughs> no, no, it's it's like. Redneck Americans watching super over-the-top cars crashing and stuff like that. Okay, it's like um, Destruction Derby type thing? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these trucks have personalities mm. that get continued and licensed through different products. Right. Um, I can't remember any of the names of them. <laughs> <laughs> they had a guy that was just doing the trucks, right? And he was really good. He, yeah. He was literally making like photoreal models of the trucks and covering them with the dirt that's procedural dirt that gets put on when depending okay. on how you're driving right? yeah that's he, cool. one guy did all that i did the terrain right so there was like three or four guys doing terrain um there was a guy called dave biggs hmm. who was like just this genius that sat next to me and told me yeah. what to do <laughs> was, like, awesome. sweet <laughs> you would have learned a lot of stuff yeah sitting next to so i was guy. kind of like the, the junior 3d environment artist and the level of their studio was pretty junior yeah uh, they had they supported me quite a lot and it was great um can't remember why i left from there oh i went my my girlfriend my fiance at mm. the time we, we said okay 
she got she got refused a visa here. So was like, oh, was it, here in New Zealand, no, in, in Australia, right? So we're like, oh, we'll just meet up somewhere where you can go. Yeah. And so you, she was from Uzbekistan, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's in Montreal now. But uh, the list of countries that someone from Uzbekistan can go to without complicated visa arrangements mm. was really small. It's oh, like that sucks. It's like Colombia <laughs> and uh, yeah, Malaysia. you can count them on one hand. Yeah, literally a few. So I was like, I never really imagined I'd go to Malaysia, but um, you know, we'll go on a holiday there. Cool. Uh, okay. So so that was good. We spent like two months roaming around Malaysia. Yeah. I was looking at the money going <laughs> going down, and going, oh shit, I don't have a job now. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, we, we shipped the Monster Jam game. Mm. Uh, this is a bit still just delaying back in Australia. We shipped the Monster Jam game, that the Monster Jam game, mm-hmm. and uh, they started doing a zoo hospital game. Zoo hospital is still a thing. Like, yeah. you, you still get these games now. But I was like, I don't really want to do that. Huh. Um, so, 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 so I kind of said to the boss, like, I want to, uh, I'll go on holiday, and, and but don't expect me to come back and everything. And he was like, Yep, that's cool. You're, you're all good. This is. Just off the back of them announcing that they're going to work on this zoo animal game, you were just like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this game, and, and you bounced? Just because, just based on what they were working on? In effect, yes. Man, okay. Yeah. But you would have had, like, great relationships with, you know, the team, right? Well, my feeling about games is, like, I don't play a lot of games. I'm very picky, let's say, on the kind of games I want to play. Mm. And it's the same with the games I want to make. Like, I mean, actually, I've I, I kind of digressed out a little bit lately. Um, mm. But, like, if you want to make a, a, a mobile phone game with, like, what are they called? Three... Th- oh, the tower three, defense? Three line games, Candy Crush. Oh, like yeah, okay. If someone offers me to make a game like that as a job, I'm just like, oh, I, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, how does that work? E- even if Candy Crush was like, hey, Tom, we got we got the perfect job for you. You well, can be an environment artist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> King, which is the company that does Candy Crush, is mm. always hiring, and they're actually a massive company. So, mm. yeah. Actually, Digital Confectioners and Christchurch is hiring for a Candy Crush-style there's a name for this kind of game. It's like yeah, it's a match three. Match three, is the, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, they're hiring for a level designer. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> level designer for a match three game. Yeah, like, what, what is the world coming to? Is, is that, those <laughs> are the guys I guess they mean crash back, church, yeah. I guess they mean backgrounds. Yeah, I, I'm kind of contact. Not, I wouldn't say friends because I've never, never met him in person. But mm. the James Tan, who was an unreal kind of evangelist, or he was in the documentation team. He's a good programmer. He, he troubleshooted a bunch of stuff on my little pet project. Yeah. And he was very helpful and nice. And, and yeah, I, I talked to him. I even interviewed for another job they had their way back ago. Hmm. And um, their art director wasn't interested. In it, but he, oh, was, that's he, was, he was nice to talk to. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I think that would have been kind of, you know, the tra- trousers of time. It's like, you know, the diverging one way or another. Like, yeah. Who knows what could happen. I, I think I met those guys. Um, yeah. Like uh, Cam, you know, Cam was a guy at work that is no longer at work, but associate uh also knew, knew him and so we were all talking about this stuff yeah the new zealand game industry is quite, quite interconnected yeah um yeah so i ended up in malaysia i got a job teaching i literally looked in the newspaper for what are the universities here the game companies were like nothing much to speak about although they are now in new zealand in malaysia oh right. kuala lumpur in particular yeah. I was like, what What are the job options here? And I sort of, okay, there's a design college, like, 
from our hotel, like literally 500 meters away, I'll just go say, hey, what, how can I apply it for it here? So I did. Yeah. And <laughs> the, that worked out? The dude just comes out. This is the boss guy of the company. Right? Yeah. He just comes out and says, here's a form. Please fill this in. I've got to go do something. Yeah. I'll come back. Yeah. So I said, all the, all the students and stuff, my, my girlfriend or fiance at the time, she's, she's very lovely, right? The kind of girl that is, guys kind of get, it's embarrassing to have a girlfriend who's too attractive because we're guys <laughs> and they're constantly like holy crap <laughs> so all the students like all these fashion design students and interior design students and yep. stuff they're all walking by going oh she looks amazing yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they're oogling her yeah oogling her totally and it's like, I was like this is bizarre yeah um, so I kind of think I got that job because <laughs> because she, of your she made a stir <laughs> yeah 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 I mean you know she was a Russian model kind of objectified woman um, enjoying her life I was super surprised that I just rang the guy up a few a few days later and said well, so how, how did that application that go application he said yeah uh, we'll offer you a job and I was like sweet and so what was on this application um, it was just like I don't remember too much it was like date of birth address <laughs> <laughs> what, what jobs you had in the past Oh, okay. Um, what do you want to teach? Um, are you good at teaching these topics, basically? Okay. Like, you, you know, uh, interest forms. Are you interested in this and this and this? It's yeah, like that. multiple But it was things. like topics of what they teach. Yeah. Right. So can you teach visual communication? Can you teach interior design? Mm. Within the interior design, can you teach, like, AutoCAD? I, I you know? struggle to so fill those I just ticked the boxes for the stuff I could. Yeah. And, yeah. But were you kind of li- like... Yeah, I guess I could teach interior design, no. not knowing anything about interior design. No, no, no. I just stuck to what I knew. Okay. Um, they were hiring for basically a little group of people that wanted to do game design. Yeah. So that was great. Yeah, yeah that, that was, that's yeah. where you wanted to go. Yeah. Um, but what was funny is I ended up teaching rendering for jewelry, rendering for interior design. Uh, I kind of wanted to teach rendering for the fashion design students because yeah. they're nice looking girls. <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- I never did that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, everyone else would have been applying for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, the, obviously the, the game guys. And, yeah. Um, say guys, but like literally, they had like more girls doing the game stuff than they had guys. Yeah, it's interesting. The Asian yeah. type of game development scene is is way more. Um, what would you say? There's more of a mix of yeah. like guys and girls rather than yeah. Well, in, in the West, it's very male dominated, I guess. Yeah, I think mobile phone culture, uh, like iPads and all that, mm. has literally opened up the world to mm. a whole, let's say, demographic where previously that wouldn't have been the case. Mm. So, so yeah, you get a lot more people running around with diverse backgrounds and all that. Yeah, which I guess is healthy. So, I w- I, I wanted to talk about this and I totally forgot, um, but talking about the, the teaching rendering to different students has reminded me um you know how i mentioned about teaching moto to these guys that did my in korea so, yeah. yeah so at the at the time that i was in, in malaysia teaching udk and 3d max and stuff mm-hmm. a renderer came out called maxwell render mm-hmm. have you heard of that yes i have sweet <laughs> is it max on maxwell render okay it's named after james clerk maxwell okay who was the kind of uh guy who solved solved a lot of problems in electric thermodynamics whatever you call it mm-hmm. um like laws of physics and stuff mm-hmm. um and it's it, maxwell render is this interesting software that is using physically based rendering way before the sort of real-time physically well, what's the year uh, let me think 
2010, maybe. Okay. Can't remember. I, dude, because I, I think... Mean, I was in that, I was in that, that company at Kuala Lumpur, uh, it, was, it was Raffles Design College. I yes. Guess they're quite, there are many branches all over Asia. Yeah. They, 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 they had five years there, right? So yeah. It was quite a while of time. So a lot of weird, diverse experiences. But teaching Maxwell Render to one student <laughs> huh. was like a super highlight. It was really, I was teaching myself, right? Mm. Um, and it's super slow. It's, rendering. It's the kind of, yeah, of renderer where you can leave it for it's an a, offline a few renderer. days. Yeah. And um, and you come back and it's still quite grainy. Yeah. So you can look at it not quite sure. Yeah, what, denoising yeah. wasn't a thing. Yeah, yeah. So me and my students, we were like... Are we doing this right? <laughs> Why is this taking so long? Well, we didn't quite get the fact that our computers were useless. Yeah, and you needed a supercomputer. Yeah, they're, they're meant to be like batch rendered and yeah, all that sort of bucket rendering stuff and all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned a lot about lighting principles. Mm. You know, I mentioned about Scott Robertson teaching this course on shadow casting. Yeah, and he's really into like metals and reflections because he does cars and airplanes. Yeah, and, of course. And you know, for concept art, that kind of stuff is really interesting. So yeah. I, I learned a, I learned rendering from the point of view of someone who wanted to learn concept design. I gotcha. And just yesterday, I was looking at the Maxwell Render w- w- website because I thought maybe we could talk about the stuff, mm. like what makes Maxwell Render different, and since then, what's happened to it? You know, but it's still it's still being sold. It doesn't seem to have changed a lot lately. Right. Like it's up to version five. Yeah. And they say, oh, it's faster. But <laughs> <laughs> what it's kind of aimed at really is for people who are doing really, really large images. Yeah. And they want super, super ac- accurate, like photographically accurate kind mm-hmm. of performance of, of light. Okay. Um, and surfaces, you know. Um, so displacement and refraction and diffraction. Yeah. All those complicated light physical properties. Mm. Um that you kind of have to learn about from a scientific background. Mm. You have to get Docker relics on that. Yeah, you kind of have to learn a little bit of... Did, did you ever look at V-Ray? Did you ever look at under, yeah, other renderers? Yeah. Because V-Ray is the dominant like rendering package for production houses now. Yeah. And um, everyone claims to have the best renderer, but it's it's very subjective. Well, V-Ray is kind of like a fast, biased renderer. So correct terminology not mm. that i know a lot about the terminology to be honest but it's what they what you might call an approximate render mm-hmm. and it doesn't use you know how light is a, is a wave mm-hmm. and and wave the, and uh yeah all that stuff yeah <laughs> basically it's it's a it's, a, it's, a, it's a with heat and how when you shine light through a prism the colors diffract and all this kind of stuff right yeah. um that's how maxwell render treats light yeah, I think that VRA and stuff like that. It's a sort of. It's a, I've recently heard this term called a punctual light, mm. and that's where in, you know in the three D world, it's this infinitely bright little point light, like a Maya point light, yeah. um, that is like kind of an abstraction. Doesn't really exist in the real world. Mm. Um, VRA kind of starts from that basis. It's mm. a mathematically built simplification of light in order to get a quick result. You should have said you wanted to talk about rendering because yeah. I, I know Corona did something yeah. with this recently. Yeah, yeah. Corona's a really good renderer. Mm. Um, I think Octane now is kind of like one of what I consider a leading renderer. Mm. They're doing very really interesting stuff anyway. Yeah. And then, of course, there's, lately, it's all, it's all going into real-time renderers catching up. But yeah. if you really compare a real-time render. It's good because it's fucking fast, yeah. right? <laughs> Real it's time. Good. But it's no good in terms of, if you compare it to a good Maxwell render, yeah. or maybe an Octane render or whatever, 
there's like a way different yeah, um, strata of quality that yeah. you can achieve. And so I was, uh, I was really interested in those kind of things. Yeah. I never really got really good at that stuff because it wasn't my job. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't professionally. No one was like saying, hey, Tom, make these renders. We'll pay you money. Yeah. I, I was doing it because I, I liked it. So it's really interesting because those renderers, like to really show the difference, you need to render a pool of water kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, but if you're rendering rocks or something, you can get away with a real time renderer. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. if, if yeah. you're just yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing... matte surfaces or your dielectrics yeah. surfaces and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, if you e- want to even car render... think like metals and stuff that are, if you're not asking too many questions, then mm. that's fine. Mm. But if you want to start rendering, um, like light going through cheese or wax or anything like that yeah and have close-ups and then have like camera uh effects like depth of field and then mm-hmm. you know <laughs> oh yeah like jade or anything like that anything with like an interior yeah. um where light actually bounces through a, a, a material then yeah. yeah those those actual offline renderers are you know they, they will show you the difference yeah. of what what a offline renderer can do compared to a real-time renderer yeah but but even so I don't think you can if you if you have natural render on a computer, more power to you if you use it. Mm. But you still have to do quite a lot of study on physics. Yeah. Like light physics, I mean. Before you can start. Oh, to even just set up a render? To make sense of what you're really trying to achieve. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Because V rays very much like angling to that space where you can just set up a scene, position lights here, here and here and hit render and yeah. get something that is pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Skies and like uh, time time of day was a big thing for V-Ray. I think that's a main factor in what made that, apart from speed. Yeah. Like having an easy to use time of day where you could like just say, oh, I want sunset and it just kind of, your camera and your sky are kind of married together in a nice way. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of what made them successful. Yeah. Uh, you, you studied art. Um, what, are you talking traditional art? oil paintings yeah. that kind of thing yeah I, w- I went to art school with the intention of studying painting yeah. but the cg department was just way too attractive yeah <laughs> like they had a good cg department they had a good teacher they had uh, a lot of people from my group uh, went there and you know and, and lord of the rings was starting to be filmed at that right. time okay a couple of my senior guys like you know i was like year one they were year two mm. they graduated went straight to where to right like some funny stories like they, they didn't end up doing like cg like one guy when he was like a making goop on trolls and stuff <laughs> cool. what, what do you call that like a saliva and, and slime slime guy yeah. yeah so he was the guy that was another guy was the driver for like um dwarves or whatever that, that, he was a, a limo yeah. driver he was yeah limo, or, so he was Liv a tyler was the elf right and he drove her around and stuff like that in a car or yeah so this, this guy he i didn't know him too well but he his girlfriend was in my class yeah so one day we were at a party and and I was, I was talking about Lord of the Rings and saying, um, what's it you know what, what's it like to work there and how do you get a job there and mm. this kind of stuff and, yeah and, and you know he explained the basics he was kind of talking more about more maybe the studio stuff as opposed to the CG stuff yeah and he's going basically they hire people that they think they'll get along well with yeah because nobody wants to work with a cunt yeah of course <laughs> and I was like. But how do you know if you're counting? <laughs> and he's like, Tom, I'm going to stop this conversation right here. <laughs> kind of. Because, like, I quite like his girlfriend. <laughs> and so I was like, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. Was, was, you had but, a hard look at yourself that, yeah, that evening. <laughs> that was a really awkward one. <laughs> 
this this is the kind of shit that sticks in my mind in years later. I'm like going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, life defining kind of moments. <laughs> Did you ever figure out <laughs> the, the yeah. answer to that question? So yeah, I think he was right though, right? Like um, you, I mean, your your knowledge or skill at particular technical task matters hugely, but you can learn it. Yeah, and once you start off doing any job, no matter games or whatever, uh, you'll probably like a year or two later be doing something else. You kind of have to train and retrain and just kind of slide around. Interesting. Whereas your communication with people is going to persist through the group, and it matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I... So I didn't appreciate that stuff until I started GDG. To be honest. Really. Yeah. So I talked to people about it um, because. Communication is not my for, for strength, whatever you call that. Um, forte? Forte. <laughs> not, not at all. Uh, so so I was kind of like, mm, I need to learn this. So I, I did it like a Udemy course, which I think was one of the things I really found most directional. It yeah. gave me a kind of framework to work off of. Yeah. And GDC talks are helpful. I think yeah. I've, I've shown you a few GDC talks, yeah, Zen, talks I liked. Yeah, Zen, the art of game development or something. It was a leadership one. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no one that production one that you didn't really like. <laughs> hey, wait, which one? <laughs> remember, remember I was saying this production, this guy talking about producers is this really good talk, and you're like, this guy looks like a joker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to go back to yeah. it. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just kind of like, I, I guess I felt like certain windows or lenses got added to my toolkit from that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Um, like mainly learning how to be sensitive to like what someone else's point of view might be on your take on stuff is kind of important mm. you learned that while at GGG yeah I learned to appreciate it and maybe like I guess what I've been trying to push for a little bit is jobs where that becomes a factor or a feature of your job yeah as opposed to like say a concept artist or a or a 3D modeler or a level designer, they kind of are focused on the task requirements and they don't really have to worry about... Um, Issue management. Yeah, people management. Time management, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So some, actually some of the criticism that came through our level design department was to do with time management and um, like communication clearly and efficiency and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was like, well, yeah, I need I to figure out some details yeah <laughs> you know so i've been trying trying to put into practice a little bit of this but you know like the reality is often you come to work and you you're locking into the computer hmm. and you don't really maybe talk to anybody for a day like that mm-hmm. can happen right and then you have other days where you spend a lot of time talking about things through yeah i excited to go like i'm not so interested in the sitting at the computer silently i mean you do it because you have to it's yeah like the job the, the task needs to be done but I started going like I actually find the talking part more interesting. Yeah, like as a point of stress though, like handling the confusion of trying to figure out someone else's thought process mm. is really hard. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, even though you practice it and think you're getting good at it, you, you may completely. Someone may say something that's important to them that doesn't sound important for some reason. Yeah. And can go over your head and all those kind of things. They, they, they really matter. Yeah. Um, okay, but now, now, now we can maybe start talking about the, the dramatic stuff, or the, the recent events. Yeah, do, should, should we just, yeah, we'll just tell people we'll just what's happening? into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I talked to um, I talked to Mark too a lot. Mm. 
in the evenings when everyone else had gone home. Yeah. And uh, I got real interested in the way he works. Yeah. Mark too is a producer in the company, uh, and he's now one of the leads of the whole company. Right? Mm. And uh, I noticed that he was like super task focused, maybe like he's like deeply caring about the studio as a whole mm. and like he'll grind whatever grist the mill requires to get the product out to the players and mm. all that kind of thing because that's what we have to do um mm. so you know one one day you'll talk to him and he'll be super nice and the next day he'll be super busy and not so nice and yeah you can't like distract a busy person so it's kind of uh, I started watching how we interacted with other people and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Reese is also lead programmer. is another guy I kind of watched quite carefully, mm. um, you know, to make some comparisons. Mm. And uh, you're, you're you're looking at leadership. You want to see yeah, how yeah. they talk with people and interact with people. Yeah. So so I have this theory about GGG in particular mm. is that it's like a medieval monastery. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and although that sounds a little weird and funny. I think it's super accurate because mm. um, how a medieval monastery worked is you take a bunch of experts and pretty much imprison them inside of stone walls. Mm. They w- would have to live together and work together, and then and there'd be experts at their field. Yeah, um, and they'd live according to some ideals and policies and all that kind of stuff. And they'd also be trying to ship material like, like okay, medieval monks were into illumination of manuscripts and all this kind of. It's religious stuff, but yeah. so we're into computer games. It's like the the, the materials. It's, mm. it's like an intellectual pursuit, right? And you'd get these, uh, you know, topic specialists like let's say a guy who knows Greek, uh, different, let's say lots of different languages, right? Sure. And we have programming languages, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So it's this kind of this kind of thing. Um, and you're kind of secluded off from society, but like an office. The, the analogy kind of rubs away a little bit. And, you start talking about like oh, everyone's got wives and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know there's a lot of um, parallels. A lot of parallels, yeah. Mm. So yeah, you you were you were starting to make these comparisons, yeah, with with the way Mark II and Reese were just yeah. handling. Well, the way I think of Mark II is is like a kind of industrial revolution kind of factory leader, mm. where he's kind of the commander of a workforce or commander of an army of workers, let's say. Mm. And then there's a guy like Reese who's very. Some of my friends use the word celestial. Uh, cerebral is probably the word I would use, but he's always super fucking calm and unfazed by any troubles. Mm. So I always admired this, right? Yeah. And when he talks, he communicates very clearly, which I also admire because I don't. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> and he can solve problems that just literally grind. Oh, grind, good term. Uh, Everybody else would be stuck on this thing. He'll he'll just sit down and figure it out. Yeah. You know, since I first began in the company, I've been I've been working under him. That are working. I sat next to him and you work directly with him. Yeah. yeah. As a level designer, you you're yeah. relying he's, on he, the tool that yeah. He, but he, he's he's a tools developer, but this is kind of like also has a strong founder history in mm-hmm. the game that I don't have. Right. And you know, me coming into GGG, I felt like I was coming in the middle period. Mm. Like I'm not a founded guy. Mm. Um. And uh, I'm not quite as invested in the story. I liked Path of Exile mm. when I first came across it. Yeah, I was like, a New Zealand game, sweet. This, <laughs> this game's fun to run around in. Um, but my interest is not the kind of interest that maybe a serious player of the game has, right? Yeah. I'm um, I'm playing it for like, oh, the scenery is nice. Yeah. Like, I'm a terrain maker, right? So I like, oh, these trees are like, <laughs> nice atmosphere here. Or the mood is interesting. Yeah. 
I'm not too worried about like my skills or how many monsters I can kill. Yeah. Like One of the things that's nice about working in a game company is you can run around in the game with like undying mode, <laughs> so like no one can kill you. <laughs> so all those problems go away. So you stop caring about your gear and stuff because. Like for for my job, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if you're the guy like Dane who makes gear and weapons, then that's a different story completely. Sure. The Dane stuff is amazing as well. Yeah. Like I, I, I guess he has a Dark Souls. Uh, he he loves the genre, so he he's into he, like he the Dark, uh, dark right? Fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is like I I went through this period like I want to produce not so much what the game is about but i want to be involved in the control of the workflow mm. right? um and like jackson who was talked to last week is also interested in the stuff from some sort of pipeline point of view yeah making stuff more efficient he's into doing that through automation and scripts and stuff mm. i'm into more of the, like strategy on tasks to do mm. figuring out who does what yeah not a, a producer type role not necessarily i don't think the producer sits down and says oh you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Going to, it's more like you go sit down with people and they figure out what they're going to do and then you just kind of write it down. <laughs> is, is that is that the role that you're kind of pursuing? Is that Yeah, that's what I'm going for in, right. in future work. You know. Hmm. Um, so I had to talk to Chris about this stuff. We did like reviews and all this kind of stuff and it kind of came up. That, that you just weren't happy yeah, with? Last, last year they offered me lead level designer and I was kind of well, there's only four of us we don't need we don't need a lead <laughs> level designer we're all we're all doing our jobs well yeah the interesting part of it is more to do with like how does the level design actually go out into the rest of the company yeah and and needs gathering and, and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. tracking what's going on mm-hmm. like why did this thing take fucking ages <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff I, I'm really interested in that okay Another facet of this is like, okay, Sav will come over. This is so for him, the lead technical guy, and they say, "Why are you doing this texture nonsense?" It's like, you know, we have outsourcers for this, or we have an environment team that should be doing that. What, you know, what? So I'm like, yeah, I actually, I don't really want to be sitting down pushing vertexes around and yeah. correcting a UV thing or whatever. It's like, I now have too much things to do. And, yeah, and, and and although often like going going back into a Miocene and vertex pushing around on a tile. Mm. is a good way to wind down a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is but, um, therapeutic anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think I've fallen through the trap of that a little too much. Right. Um, so in the last year, I've actually, you probably noticed, right, I went way, way away from doing so much art stuff. Yeah, like looking back on it now, yes. Hmm. A level designer does a lot of like working with other people's art. Mm. I, I don't mind breaking a model into a few parts to get some variance, but... Mm. But I don't really want to be doing the art now. Okay. Yeah. So I got offered a job in Europe where they're doing the kind of a game which is a little different to Path of Exile, where yeah. instead of a, our our game is completely based around the idea of kind of a let's say procedural generated level, mm. which means that every time you run it. it calculates it that's out. one of the main hooks of um yeah path of exile yeah so the good thing about it is you get a different experience if you play thousands of hours and it averages out right but the thing about the procedural level is that you get a bunch of restrictions on how things have to be of course right? yeah and the technical hurdles and stuff that can sometimes be quite big for example having a very tall level looking down in our game is still a bit of a trouble yeah and so 
If you look at like UDK and stuff like this, where they tend to focus more on, I mean, they don't have to, but often they'll they'll make games where the level is static. Like Ghost Recon is a good example. I really like that game. Yeah. They have like, I don't know how many kilometers of map. And there's a lot of procedural generation. Yeah. But once it's generated, it's static and they build upon that. Mm. So I was like, I kind of want to work on that kind of game. Yeah, one <clears> where <throat> you can actually art direct certain things. You can actually put features in certain places. You can you can direct uh, landscapes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, I, I'm going to stop you because last Christmas you and I went out, had lunch, and we were talking about this kind of stuff. Mm. And it was things of like, where do you want to be in your career? Yeah, and I my, it. That was traumatic. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I, I was... You're like, what do you want to do with yourself, Tom? I was like, well, why are you asking? <laughs> I feel like goals are very yeah. are very important yeah, for, yeah. for an individual. Yeah. So when when you didn't respond, uh, like, what do you what do you do? Yeah. yeah. Well, at the time, I was just quite confused and uh, playing my cards close to my chest. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. You didn't know what you were going to do. Yeah. 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 Fair I mean, enough. Okay. So in like you know, in, in your heart of hearts, you have a thing you want to do. Yeah. But then reality kind of teaches you different. Yeah. You know? Like when I was young, I, I was super, I like Edgar Degas, style artist who is completely self-sufficient. Yeah. It maybe has a modest life, but they do their own thing. Yeah. You know? They're completely in control of their art mm-hmm. and they just do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the ideal for me, but I think. He I lives in a log cabin just in the middle of nowhere. Well, he lived, in Paris, he lived in Paris and had a housekeeper looked after him, grew, <laughs> okay. grew old and died, right? Yeah, okay. But the outcome is always going to be the same, but I think I would be a homeless person living in a oh. cave pretty quickly. Pursuing <laughs> the thing that you want to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I could. With your wake off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I've never been ballsy enough to really try doing that. Mm. I mean, I've done personal projects and stuff, but they've always been like hobby craft. Yeah. Tinkering around. Yeah. Yeah. So professionally, I've only ever got game jobs, right? Yeah. Uh, I was I was quite interested in film industry stuff, but I, I kind of want to be the guy that hires a film studio to make what I want, not to work in a film studio. Yeah. And that, I don't have money for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, th- I think that's a reality telling you this is how things work. A, a lot of situation, people, right? when they do that kind of stuff, they go out and film things on their own and they'll learn, yeah. you know, compositing a thing onto live action, yeah. putting that out there. That, that's... Yeah. Definitely a thing people do. I did all the compositing and filming and stuff in, in my 20s and 30s. Mm. Yeah, games just seems to pay better. For, for me, it wasn't even... Like, I, I did that when in the mid-2005, around there. But it was very clear to me at the time that video games and the interactive medium was going to be way better mm. than whatever film could do. Yeah. Just in terms of t- storytelling. That's just me. Yeah, I think games has slightly calcified into this like RPG versus sci-fi versus maybe war game mm. kind of kind of polarity, if that's the right word. Where it doesn't have to be that way at all. Like, I think it's to do with market-driven stuff and publishing kind of interests more mm. than more than what players really would play if they had different options out there. What do you mean? You're just talking about the genres are very. Um... Well, if you compare like the experience of going to a really good film hmm. uh, and the experience of playing a good game, the good games are all really similar in, yeah. in format. Yeah, and, you're talking about AAA uh, games, just yeah, just like yeah. action games. Uh, yeah. you, you murder everyone. <laughs> kind of, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I like playing Ghost Recon and sniping someone and all that, but I'm not super like this game must be about killing or I'm not playing it. That yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of thinking is like surprisingly strong, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Games, games with stories and 
let's say depth mm. is still something that is so much more possibility that will come yeah like you know how you look back at i mentioned tomb raider earlier and you look back at it and you think this is really clunky and yeah we will be looking back in 10 20, at these 20 years at the stuff that is considered great now and just going that was so rudimentary and, yeah and not just in graphics i mean i mean in like the way pre- presentation and and let's say the the game loop or the architecture sure but we'll just be like oh this is so bulky I, I agree i agree you know, I'll be old by then. I, mean, I already feel quite old. But <laughs> hey, I, I yeah. feel pretty old too. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to Europe and it's super interesting to go through the process from not even to do with the work because I, I don't know what they're going to get me to do, right? Mm. But the process of changing countries, mm. you know, relocating, I guess is the technical term. Mm. It is like the most hard thing in the world like you don't you don't do it often probably like for most people it's rare if they ever even do it yeah and there's no lessons mm-hmm. <laughs> right you have to read a lot figure of, it out yeah you have to look at a lot of stuff and go um, is this even the right thing to be looking at <laughs> <laughs> you know um i've hired people to help me because it's so hard are they not helping you the, no. the guys that... yeah they're there they're. okay so it's in multi it's in multi stage it's like rocket launch kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally that that amount of involvement. <laughs> like there's a stage for pre launch and there's launch and there's arrival and, and you know and then there's recovery of the debris. And now, yeah, I, I, I know I know when you <laughs> it's hard and I have pets as well. So pet travel is probably like times a thousand yeah. difficulty. Like yeah. it is really hard. And now we also have COVID all over the world. Of course, and so that so imagine another imagine what's going through my mind lately. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to keep on top of it. Um, the timing is critical, and the doing shit right is critical. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are business travelers probably think that's oh, easy. But, um, you know, if you have a skateboard, right, mm. and it's worth like a thousand bucks, electric skateboard, I mean, uh, and it's worth a thousand bucks, you kind of go, I can't really take this with me. Mm. I have to sell it. Yeah, and then you have to go through, go through the process of selling, selling something. Yeah. Now, that's not, I mean, that doesn't take no time, right? So, yeah, giving stuff away, selling it, just like oh, maybe I have to package this, and there's like so many things. Yeah, and then you're still working during all that, right? Mm. And then you're trying to prepare yourself for this next job, so you're fresh on arrival. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so really worried that I'll land and just go there. <laughs> I'm done, dude. I'm sure they'll give you like a, a grace yeah, yeah. period. Yeah, yeah, they'll show you the ropes. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think so. That. But um, yeah, uh, in the past, like, I was a very light traveler. Mm. I didn't have any stuff. Just a backpack. And, um, yeah, moving moving my dogs from Malaysia to New Zealand was like stressful and uh, sort of like it was handled well in the arrangements, but mm-hmm. it was hard because like, uh, you know, your dog can die. Just in the airplane? Yeah, or even in quarantine or whatever. Right. Like, How long are you away from your dog for? That was like three months. Jeez. Yeah, because when you're entering New Zealand, there's yeah. quarantine. Like, if you're going from New Zealand to Europe, it's, there's no quarantine, but there's a lot more like, limits on when you can go. Yeah. And, and then the price is quite high. You know, but... Why is the pet situation like that? Is it just um, to... Well, it's to do with life cargo and animal welfare. Mm. Like, they, they really try to ship in a these animals cannot die kind mm. of kind of a process right so they're trying real hard to do everything right yeah um there's a lot of medical like 
I mean, to the vet on Friday, for example. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of medicals. They have to do vaccinations. and The weird thing is you go to the vet and they don't seem to know what the fuck is going on. Like, yeah. the, oh, we the steps are kind of hard and so they're sending you to somebody else and it's okay. Oh, and geez. then it's like, oh, you have to go to this approved vet? Like, custom, government regulations require you to go to a certain doctor for, yeah. for a human yeah. for a medical check for a visa. Same with pets. You have to go to approved government regulated vet to get medical checked on yeah um so you have to find this out and you know how like when you look online for information yeah. you just get all the information yeah for the keywords you search for mm. so you'll be like in the usa <laughs> <laughs> you'll be getting all the usa results amongst the stuff you look at. Like, oh, oh, oh damn yeah. <laughs> so you can spend nights trying to figure out am i even looking at the right stuff here yeah so it took me quite a while to get to nail it down with her but it's, it's all working currently yeah pretty good I'm at the stage where it's now like, like pay for it, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the launch, uh, the rocket is on the launch pad kind of situation. Cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's good. Um, but yeah, the actual flight hasn't happened yet, so that's the scary part. And for the dogs, it's super scary. Yeah. Are they? Are you away from them now? I go on the first of December. They go on the eighth. Okay. So I'm there, ready when they get there. That's and, cool. Yeah. There's a, like a pet transport service that handles the process have you, have you are you open to talk about where you're going to work yeah sure the studio we're working they did divinity original sin series mm. and they just released Baldur's gate yeah which looks like they're going to do an acts the way path of itself done in acts very cool i've played it quite a lot like 40 hours maybe yeah um and I like it. It's pretty good. Yeah, did they do the whole um, generating large environments? Yep. No randomization? Um, no. I mean, they do have dungeons still? Yeah, part of the way that that game works is that you are going through the same terrain. Mm. But the story changes because you maybe play as a different character. Yeah. So yeah, it's also like um, dialogue decision based. Yeah. So let's say, for example, I try to intimidate you. Yeah. And it fails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll be rolling for <laughs> you'll, it. Kind you'll, of you'll, kind of, you'll go down a different path. You know, just talk about trousers of time and the whole, like, your life changes depending on, like, little variables. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like that. Mm. So I kind of like that. I'm not super into D&D. It's based on a D&D franchise. Yeah. But their style of games, it's already established in the earlier games. Yeah. The D&D stuff is more to do with, like, what kind of characters there are. And, um, I've learned a lot about D&D since getting the job. Yes. Yeah. I thought I'd better learn the details yeah it's not it's not big in uh, new zealand dnd well we have a group at work that sits down and role plays i I mean like i i wasn't really aware of it until stranger things came out (laughs) and then after seeing that i was like oh yeah okay this is a thing that everyone was talking about and then you know we played and there were podcasts about it and yeah this kind of thing yeah okay so youtube has kind of made it a big thing uh, for the social element of dnd i think that the the flavor of D and D lore or whatever has always been kind of dumb. Yeah, like, it's very it's Lord generic. Of, Lord yeah. of the Rings, generic kind of ripoffy plagiaristic stuff, and yeah. that's fine. Everybody gets dragons, gets magic, it. that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And they have minute of detail the way that Path of Exile has lore and all that. Mm-hmm. You can, if you're really into like baseball card collections and you want to learn like all the dates of all the players, and you can do that with the Baldur's Gate, all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, so lost the thread a little bit 
We were just talking about uh, your new studio. Look, you mentioned that D&D is not that popular in New Zealand, right? So when I was a kid, there was more a uh, book kind of thing where you would... Choose your own adventures. Choose your own adventures. That fighting fantasy was like the famous one. And there was also a few like, let's say, young adult kind of variants on this kind of format. Mm. And I, I had a, a few of those. And I internalized them in a sort of by myself kind of way. Yeah. I grew up in the country, like not even a town in the country, like... Just way off in the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like animals and stuff around. Yeah. Okay. On a <laughs> um, farm. Yeah. So my family, uh, I inherited books and stuff down the tree, you know? Mm. And so Narnia and Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff. Lots of, of lots of adult books I got, like, kind of came my way early, maybe. But I was a strong reader, young kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so... Like a D&D campaign thing, like a dungeon master manual and all that. Mm. I, I kind of never played the game with yeah. people the way that it's meant to be. Oh, right. You were just reading like <laughs> yeah, the front, the exactly. start to finish exactly. of the book. I was just looking at the the manuals again. This stuff's cool. I like it. Yeah. I, and just from my own point of view, um, yeah. I, this is, I can, you know, I was attracted to it. And um, games like the CRPG. Mm. I was just like, well, this is even better because <laughs> it speaks to the solo player in me. Yeah. And part of it, so I was like, kind of like almost the epitome of the action solo adventure game. Sure. I mean, you can play it in a party, but it's not not the strongest way to play Path of Exile, I think. Well, if you wanted the story. One of the first things Chris asked me, Chris, the manager of Path of Exile, uh, founder, uh, when I first joined the company, Roy, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> What's, what can Path of Exile maybe do, do you think, from your point of view? And I was mm. like, better party PvP. <laughs> that, that's what you said? Yeah. Okay. And he was like, oh, we tried PvP. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't see, like, okay, Path of Exile is a branched kind of game now. Like, there's the League thing and there's the new development stuff going on. Mm. There's game modes that they kind of have coming out once in a while. Yeah. I, I don't think PvP necessarily has to be this horrendous deathmatchy adversarial kind of thing. You can have like a more co-op-y kind of style party play of PvP that's like groups of people. And, yeah. Or even events. Yeah. Right? Where it's not about like my level 90 character is going to get slaughtered mm. immediately and people get afraid of that or something like that. Mm. I think that's the main the fear is that if you're solo playing your way through a game and, and then you have to PvP it, it's like, people are just like, why? It doesn't make any sense, right? So, yeah. But if there's some sort of, like, there's a lot of popular PvP games out there, why can't Path of Exile kind of get its head around that? Couldn't speak to that. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of branch the game a little bit, right? Mm. So you make, a, you make a game mode that works for some people and not for others. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Like, um, apparently, Baldur's Gate 3 has multiplayer. Right. I don't know how it works because like play I'm player. playing it by myself, right? right. So I okay. have no idea what you're supposed to do in the multiplayer. But we have um, parties in Path of Exile, but I've never done it. <laughs> right, okay. Like, except at work. Like, yeah, okay. I've never done it for my on, on, you know, actual account. When you talk about Baldur's Gate doing it, is it a similar kind of multiplayer? I think it's... You're meant, in a party. Yeah, I think it's meant to be oriented more towards social stuff in like the traditional RPG sense where people talk to each other as they play. Yeah. As opposed to just but fight, do you still have those story and interactions and then forking stories with a party? I, I, don't, I think so, yeah. Would the story even hold up in that situation? You have this one guy making all the decisions for the party? Uh, I haven't tried it. Okay. They're betering the stuff anyway, like during mm. early access, and the initial response I've read is that the multiplayer is a bit fuzzy. 
because of that. <laughs> yeah, because they're just they're just kind of uh, uh, let's just say they're experimenting it out still because it looks like they are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right? Fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not. I, I wouldn't even know how you do that, yeah. like logistically. I'm kind of wondering, like, when I get there. The first thing I'm going to do is like spend ages figuring out what the hell they've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know they have very strong mocap and character dialogue. They're, they're, they're rendered characters. Hmm. Like the, the, you know, the detail on the models and stuff is pretty nice and all that. Right. I mean, it's a whole different department than the terrain and all that. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, they have studios in different parts of the world. Yeah. And, you know, Grinding Gears is... Like I mentioned about a medieval monastery, mm. that's real insulated. Yeah, there's a story. It's I think, it's, I don't know I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's this, there's this big science fiction book where they have a monastery where it's, it's actually a sci-fi story, but there's a monastery in it, mm. and, and they have like layers of the monastery, mm. and they open the gates every for the outer rim. It's like every year for the inner second ring. It's like every fifteen years, and the middle ring is and in the middle is like but they open only once every one hundred years or something like yeah. that. Like self-contained little world. Yeah. The whole point of it is it's like an isolated bubble. Yeah. So it's kind of like grinding gear within New Zealand, within Henderson. Henderson's the 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 village of West Auckland. Yeah. It's a kind of forest-surrounded little hamlet that hobbits live in. <laughs> <laughs> the suburb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then you have uh, Auckland. The 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 island of New Zealand. Yeah. Top two islands, but you know, and and it's so far from everywhere. So oh yeah and that way protected and isolated sure and you know then like you know if you look at like there's this picture of like mexico city i think yeah i don't know where i saw it recently i saw it it's like a imagine a hillside that goes over into a valley goes up another hill goes into a valley like a wave yeah five or six deep hills right okay covered with buildings really packed closely together no yeah. fucking slums kind of thing no parks no trees no you know maybe a tree here and there right? okay <laughs> but literally just like houses this isn't like slums this is just like say your house yeah but packed just you know, with yeah. rings of like different stages of development yeah. and not much tra- traffic because it's so packed right i see so how do they get around and no idea but like millions of people like density wise so Europe is a lot like that. Belgium is where I'm going. Also quite dense and buildings very terraced. Yeah. Um, so houses packed together, quite thin houses, maybe like three stories tall, but thin and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the, one of the reasons why they're so super worried about COVID is because they have high density. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you know, in New Zealand, like you've got like this psychologically built in space, um, I like large spaces and open space and trees and you know, yeah, yeah, all that. And and like most of the world is not like that, <laughs> you know. Huh. The very urbanized world we I'm, live in. I'm sure they have city planning in, in yeah. Belgium. Well, have you seen like photos of like um, Manhattan Island, whatever they call it? No, you know, I don't think New, so. New York's main kind of financial hub. I, I probably have seen. Yeah, there's like this. It's just like a science fiction landscape. It's this concrete okay. building, right? It's like people live in... Oh, skyscrapers you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to mention chicken coops <laughs> immediate, <laughs> immediately you, after but like but New yeah. York, but, but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, like the... Dude, I've been to Hong Kong. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you're... Man, Hong Kong has got that insane degree. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, 
I found like Kuala Lumpur was quite jungly, right? So yeah. it's kind of nice. <laughs> it, it, it's busy and, and large population, but it's quite dispersed throughout and nice scenery. Yeah. Um, Moscow's very got these massive state structures, like twelve lane highways through the center oh, of the city, right. okay. and you can cross underneath like these massive. Um, it's pretty sweet. Hi- highways in the middle of the city, um, and people work underground and all this kind of weird shit. It's, it's super. I, you know, when I first went to Moscow and walked underneath the street and there's like old ladies selling cigarettes in these little stores that are like smaller than this room that we're in now. Yeah. Uh, and they spend the whole day in them with a little window. Oof. And the window itself is like framed by all the cigarettes and, yeah. and stuff that people can buy, right? Jeez. So it's just a slot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, a, like literally a scene out of Those a movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, this is like some kind of weird hellscape. Because mm. like, not only is it that, it's like cold and wet and grimy. And, yeah, but isn't that Not also... because Moscow people are wet and cold and grimy. It's <laughs> The weather is coming down the yeah, stairs, and, yeah, but and you, it's super you wanna, hard to clean. You, know, you, you a, want to have yeah. that sheltered from the environment, the, the yeah. weather, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, they have they have guys working construction outdoors in the middle of the winter. You know? Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. And I mean, all I'm saying is, like, I'm coming from this uh, originally village, almost like medieval level kind of hobbit land. Uh, mm. To uh, I mean, medieval in the sense of nice fairy, <laughs> fairy tales <laughs> as opposed to medieval like brutally yeah yeah, um, yeah. In, in a way the urban landscapes of those cities are more medieval in terms of how harsh they are yeah you know and you know it could easily get worse with like the COVID situation economic breakdowns and stuff yeah yeah um, I, I don't know it's kind of hard to talk about economic breakdowns personally because like when I see all the cool things that are being developed all around I'm like things are going well and then but then there's like social welfare stuff where yeah certain stratas of society just obliterated pretty harshly you're you're moving for employment so i think you're going to be okay yeah sure no i'm sure you've like done a little bit of research yeah it's kind of selfish conversation it feels a little bit like but um i mean the, the storytelling part of this is that like when i first went overseas i felt like 12 years yeah I was like a backpacker, not even that, not even that privileged status. Yeah, it was like a struggle for survival with getting by and even like relying on goodwill of people quite right. a lot. Right. Whereas now I'm going from a position I've never had, yeah. which is like you've got a little bit saved. Away. I got money saved up, and I've got a job there, and you know I can drive now, which I couldn't do previously. Cool. But just driving opens up your world if you've if you've been like I didn't start to learn to drive till I was forty. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And my flatmate, he's a Chinese guy. Um, still can't drive, but he's got his license. Yeah. But he's like, it insulates the world around you pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, I know. You know. So I'm like, dude, just keep going, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> learn, learn to drive, and then your, your world will open up. Yeah. And, you know. But I, I really felt that it did anyway. Um, I was scared to learn to drive for quite a while. Yeah. Jeez. Um, what What made you learn to drive? I'll tell you. I saw a stupid looking person driving. I thought, I feel they can do it. I <laughs> <laughs> can do it. <laughs> We're, dude, where, where I'm from, like, people, as soon as they turned 15, were, like, applying to get yeah, driver's license. Yeah, my brother and sister were, were in that category of person that just, for some reason, managed to... Everyone was doing They it got jobs husband. earlier than me. Yeah. They learned to drive earlier than me. I'm, like, the youngest, sort of... I'm, I'm like, the renegade culprit and all the troubles and... Yeah. You're the I, kid that acts out. Totally, totally. <laughs> and, and, and I embrace that, and I actually kind of want to return to that. Yeah, I want to be the maverick guy instead of the person who is like in in D and D they have um, chaotic evil yeah. 
true true lawful uh, what is it lawful evil lawful good chaotic neutral you know i'm chaotic neutral i guess <laughs> the, the middle of the mischief yeah <laughs> but i'm not like ill-intentioned to anybody right i i always find it weird with um the family dynamic where okay maybe your old sibling kind of is is the pace care right they they do quite well yeah they set themselves as like a, a really good example for the following kids mm. but then the next one down is like i'm not going to do what they're doing i'm going to figure out my own way yeah. but then you get these different tiers of because I, I i feel like i'm the same as you where definitely in my household everyone went through university and pursued industrial design transport design and all these really cool like endeavors and i was the one in my family that was like I like computers, man. Like, I, yeah. I'm just going to go this way. Yeah, but computer games. Yeah. Like, uh, the illicit <laughs> yeah, pleasure. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> like, but, not, even, not even with any civic benefit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Entertainment is a massively important thing in life these days. I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to talk about my brother a little bit, but it's uh, like a... I've been super bad about my family for, you know, most of my life. Because I, I was like... A, I don't know, like, my brother was into maths and stuff, and that put me off maths, and that's kind of a regret now, because I'm bad at maths still to this day. And yeah. uh, uh, You realize how important, like, a, uh, a math foundation yeah, is? Yeah, ma- maths and physics. is like, Physics, I can kind of start getting my head around, but math I still find it really difficult. But he was really good at it. Yeah. But I found it was super fucking hard to get along with. Your, um, your brother? Yeah, he was, like, four years older than me. I, I think it's regular in a lot of families where there's, like, sibling rivalry or yeah i definitely had it with it, the brother just older than me yeah and and my family was actually it turned out got worse than that last year oh jeez. after a while it's really hard to i mean this is not his fault yeah <laughs> we're talking me being like a, a little monster yeah a shit bag yeah, yeah yeah but he's awkward oh and so so looking back on it now it, you kind of realize that about yeah, yourself yeah. okay oh, I, I knew it at the time even like but you were just acting out anyway yeah it's like uh I lacked social skills completely when I was young. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I made his life pretty grim. Because and I because think his that? life even continued to be grim after I was like long gone elsewhere. Right. Because of the effect on him. From, yeah. Because of the psychological damage you did to, to your brother. <laughs> <laughs> but it was mutual. Like, it wasn't like a one side of street. It's just like I, I reacted quite quite heavy in, the, in a not very. Uh, no, there's no reconciliation there at all, you know. So. Yeah. We still find it super awkward to be around each other. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is bad, right? Um, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, I get a little fine with my sister, but we don't really see each other too much. Mm. And my parents are deceased from this life. You know? Yeah. I was overseas when my mother died. She got cancer. My sister kind of witnessed through that. Yeah. You, I, you didn't come back. I came you? back like just too late. Oh, so no. That already kind of had the funeral. And I was kind of, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> were you close with your mum? Yeah, I'd say me and my mum got along pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she she suffered a lot. Of, like I said about me being a little monster, <laughs> she she was pretty patient handling that. Yeah. Like I'm saying, like like you know, autistic kids are hard to deal with. Hmm. I'm kind of like that category. I think. Hmm. Like I didn't think I didn't realize it when I was young. But yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like you kind of figured it out when you started learning, looking towards your leadership kind of. Um, you know those youtube yeah. videos yeah, so that, that interest. i mean we're talking like a 30 year 
time span. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're not the same person you were when you were a kid. Of course. But you remember it, right? You still, you still kind of, you know, you're sitting, I don't know, you're in the shower, say, and you remember something sparkly clearly that you might have forgotten about for quite a while. Yeah. And you kind of go, oh, that, that was me. Yeah. Man, I was an asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't even that I was an asshole. It was just like, I just sort of stepped into the troubles. Mm. You know, I wasn't walking around like, it's it's so different from my upbringing. Three old three brothers, um, me being the second youngest. Um, but I went. Um, I, I I guess I was always very, kind of social throughout school. And then right after, well, during high school, like I got a job at McDonald's, and ended up becoming a manager there, and well, just worked part time while pursuing the or studying. 3d and stuff so it was interesting because you know you're still young 17 18 and you're having to deal and be responsible for (laughs) other rat back 16 year olds you know people people that have just kind of got a job and they're still trying to figure out who they are It, it, it was really interesting to observe that and also kind of play a part in these people so that kind of learning of having to deal with people i think i had early exposure to that which i i think to like right now has benefited me especially being where i am now at yeah. trying to get i think young people getting a job yeah. builds them pretty good into adults i i think so i didn't get a job till i was 28 oh geez like i studied for eight years yeah which is expensive and still a problem <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> um, i but like to get back to the brother thing like why i brought it up it's yeah. like one of the things that I found really hard to deal with was, was like, you know when someone uh, opinionates really heavily and strongly on just any opportunity? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a kind of like, uh, maybe they know some stuff about a topic. And, and okay, maybe they know some stuff about a topic, but they, they, the opinion becomes like, well, strong. Yeah. And, and then you're kind of like, well, here we are just... Arguing over it. Listening to a some authority voice and and i'm like dude uh today talking i'm trying to not like be an authority on any i don't want to like say oh this opinion is general to everybody Mm. like this is definitely not i'm trying to like only limit myself to like a few very safe statements about like my personal experience sure and it's I don't know if it's interesting to anybody at all. I think it's interesting. But I'd rather do that than like start like putting you know, your foot down. A lot of podcasts are like opinions on how the world should be yeah. or um, <laughs> like about how you know some physical physics thing is correct or not. You know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And actually you know people don't really know a lot of stuff. There are typically Well, well they do but it's hard to explain, you know? There are good conversations about these things. Yeah. yeah. I'm super into like I'm trying to figure out not not scientifically figure out stuff the way a proper scientist does but for uh, yourself yeah for myself to try to try to learn more about physics and and i mean it's almost like a fantasy world right <laughs> what do you mean like okay so you might say where do i start to learn physics if you stop physics when you're high school say mm. right? and suddenly you're starting to get interested in it because of other you, you're pinging off a bunch of stuff right? mm. and you say well where do i actually learn um, so one of the nice things you can do is like start to study measurements of small things mm. <laughs> like uh 
there's a sort of scale of like uh, what you can see as a human, yeah. right? And then there's like what you can feel with your fingertips, yeah. and then there's like what you need actual instru- instrumentations to, to control to, to a certain scale. Yeah, and 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 starting to learn about small scale stuff. Yeah, is a really nice way to start learning about physical laws or tr- truths or fundamentals or whatever you might call this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff I'm kind of interested in ho- hobby craft kind of way at the moment. Right. Um, but like I wouldn't like to. Uh, say oh this podcast is a platform to spout out some opinions on like how how how, how f- physics is you know I'm right like, i'm like the most new person on this topic but would you even be but, that bold <laughs> no no not, not at all but so, I, so so if i was talking about say something in physics with my brother yeah he'd be like a professor to me and i'm like dude you don't you know less in physics about <laughs> you know even less than me right? so yeah I, i'm kind of like I've always been sort of, because I sort of noticed this, I was like, oh, I kind of want to not do that to other people. Yeah. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. But it's, it's kind of like, shouldn't I have um, something to say to the world? <laughs> I don't, may, may, I don't maybe, know. Maybe you'll yeah. find that out later. Yeah. But between you and your brother, you said that he had a maths background yeah. and a physics background. You just want to talk about well, when you, physics together. When you learn physics, you... You have to start learning calculus and uh, like derivatives and stuff like this, mm-hmm. which I know the names of. Okay. <laughs> cool, that's good start. But you know, he he, he could do all that stuff. He's a, he's actually an electrician now, and mm. he does stuff with solar panels and stuff. Cool, which is kind of interesting. But he installs solar he panels. He installs them. It's like like he's an expert in solar panels. Right? Mm. I mean, he probably he knows quite, probably quite a lot about it. But um, but I I saw this documentary. This guy called Ollie something. He did um, this documentary with Michael Moore. Mm. It's about resources on the planet. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Ollie, someone, <laughs> is uh, basically saying solar panel industry is kind of like not actually that sustainably friendly yeah. <laughs> at all. It's, it's because of the materials that yeah, they make the panels materials out Materials and the, the, way they, the, lifetime. the way they roll it out into the, the world and yeah. you know, industrial reasons. Yeah. And it's kind of, hmm. Because I, I was always kind of proud that, oh, at least my brother's doing like, solar panels yeah yeah because they're like and then they're cool and and then i was like oh damn they're not that cool (laughs) (laughs) so yeah what what i'm trying to illustrate is like um you know when you kind of generalize maybe people from your family or whatever you generalize them to to other people Hmm. and um there's a lot of expert talk at work (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know like uh people that feel that they know what's correct or whatever yeah and so I'm kind of interested in like uh, learn, lear, like okay, the, the learning thing with my brother is very hard mm. emotionally, but the the learning about communication, sort of listening to people and like speaking clearly and all this kind of stuff, like assertiveness as well is a thing related to communication where maybe someone's putting you on the back foot and like actually disparaging you or whatever or this kind of stuff, um, calling you a jerk or whatever. Oh, who would do that? <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so like, I think I mentioned to you one day, like, in England, mm. uh, you know, my ancestry is English, um, a lot of the people actually have a adversarial professional life. Their, their communication work is quite based on, like, almost a conflict or argument or insulting each other, almost. Yeah. And, and for me, with a sort of more meek, let's say, style, mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it real shocking when I was there, right? Um, yeah. And it made me scared of communicating with people. Um, 
so uh, you know learning to consciously be aware of this kind of stuff yeah and so when you're in an adversarial or let's say a narcissistic conversation or or even a conversation with someone who just doesn't stop talking yeah um like learning how to handle that is a is kind of a beneficial uh thing to scale take take the time to get a little bit of tool set for sure yeah so you know i was trying to spy around to that kind of stuff is is like um one of the concerns of like the last year that i've, I've had with relation to work yeah um you know because we're a bunch of very intense and uh you know cerebral people all working in a like deadlines and all this kind of stuff and mm. pressure mounts and stuff. I sort of blew my top at Dan one day. Dan is one of my colleagues in the team. Another level designer. Um, for a small reason, and I didn't really resolve it. Like I kind of, I should have apologized about it. Like afterwards, I made a point of like seeing that everything was all right. And a, you know, he's he's pro. He's he's studied business and he's his communication is high. Right? Yeah, but like I didn't do the polite thing, so I kind of regret that that and, sucks yeah I should have I mean I could still do it but I, I mean I should have done it right immediately yeah. yeah I remember one day Sam and we had a tiff a misunderstanding it was to do with work pressure when you get like a an argument at work it's usually not so much to do with the people it's more to do with the high pressure of the work situation sure yeah the, the deadline basically a lot of things fall yeah. by the wayside when, when there is time pressure yeah. you're you're maybe trying to be word efficient yeah and it isn't happening yeah so so me and sam were mis- miscommunicated actually we wouldn't actually argue we just got a little like confused at each other yeah hot, hot tempered kind of or grumble yeah um and he apologized like immediately afterwards and i was like it isn't a problem actually and it's nice that um you said so uh, yeah uh and it helps like it, it makes a difference so i kind of i should have should have taken the chance to you know do that with, with Dan yeah because yeah. I think he might have felt hurt yeah um, but I also felt hurt because it was a thing that happened that I was like this shouldn't happen yeah <laughs> it's an incident so it's hard to describe you know, people listening were like well so <laughs> yeah you're describing this vague thing yeah, that, yeah, that happened yeah. and you didn't apologize yeah so mm. <laughs> it's it, I, you, you've obviously kept this for a while like you and Dan are okay now. Yeah, yeah, totally. the 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 thing is, like, over time, uh, people that you're around like a long, long, long time, maybe you handle in a different way than people that are, you know, regular strangers or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe there's like comfort zones are different. Well, um, one thing I don't like about work is um, where people kind of just. Re- not like walking over and talking to someone isn't encouraged i i know i try to encourage people to do this and it means just um you know getting out of your chair and talking to someone about about a thing you may may be working on there's some some cost stuff to do with like the needs versus the cost of interrupting people um i think when you go to talk to people like okay i'll use myself as an example again when you come to talk to me Hmm. You're usually coming over with something that's important, <laughs> so it's worth that. Yeah. Um, but you know, like if someone's deeply into something, the, the, the casual interruption can actually be costly to to what they're trying to figure out. You know? I see. So, if if so, you oh, are, yeah. if if you guys happen to work together a lot, it is very important just to know like how 
each of you communicate with each other. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And to develop this kind of understanding between yourselves because that, that kind of language doesn't exist until you start talking to people. Yeah. I, I would say I definitely learned a lot from observing Dan and yeah. Josiah. I mean, I'm talking about guys at work, but the, the department that I work in. Um, yeah. I learned a lot about Minecraft from watching them do their stuff. That's cool. So, yeah. and, and it's cool to hear that you learn a lot about yourself. Um, dude, it sucks, like, that you're leaving. Yeah, but it's also cool. <laughs> no, I, I am excited for you, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and you get to go on an adventure again. Yeah. The rate of attrition in our company is quite low, I think, for a game studio, which is a positive thing usually in a company. Hmm. Um like who was who was the last person who hit it off i know Peric mm. is this guy is a french guy that came as a visual effects guy yeah he hit it off to sort of similar way like jump to europe and jumping around like he's back things. in france now he's stuck by covid and right he's still working from home and doing all that kind of stuff but it's, you know we keep in touch oh, cool virtual world is different to yeah. what it used to be yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you can talk to people and share stuff and all that kind of thing Mostly it's like trading, trading, like checking comparisons and stuff like that. Like, like, uh, you know, sometimes it's sorting out a technical problem, but often it's just like, you know, what do you think of this? Oh, we're just getting an opinion on yeah, it. Getting, getting an opinion on it. It's just a second opinion. Yeah. I think like you can do that by chat pretty, pretty, pretty well. And yeah. we did quite a bit of that. That's cool. Yeah. And sharing jokes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love just catching up with that guy. Yeah. He's really interesting, and it sucked when he went to. Yeah. I'm one of those guys at Grindy Gear that you know, I've seen so many people just leave. Yeah, like the weird thing is, like I don't really feel like I'm that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally replaceable. You're really selling yourself short. It's this funny thing. Like it felt like uh, I thought I knew a lot about game development when I started at Grinding Gear. Mm. It quickly became apparent that I had much to learn. <laughs> right, and and it still feels like I'm. Uh, I do what I can, mm. I, you know, I, I do some stuff, but it's not stuff that actually couldn't be done by another person. Like, there's nothing vital about it. Like, if Reese left, it'd be like, the world would end and like, <laughs> <laughs> like, there'd be like a, a collapse of space and time. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like that. <laughs> He's like pivotal to the flavor of the company or mm. the, the nature of the company. Mm. Definitely not in that kind of category. Okay. You know? Yeah. That's one thing I like about working with him. It's like you really get to see what is a top programmer like, and mm. yeah, he's from my town. Like, oh, is that true? Yeah, I, I never, I never knew him when I was there. Like, he's, he's. I don't know if he's older than me or just a different. He went to a different school. Mm. But yeah, I have a suspicion that I had seen him around. Mm. Um, but yeah, like. We were going to mention about Dunedin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was angling that way. Yeah. Uh, Dunedin is my hometown, and it's like the south of New Zealand. And when I was a kid there, I thought it was like a big city. Mm. <laughs> but it's not. It's like a 100,000 people town. Right. But it's a university city. Yeah. Both of my parents worked in the university. Okay. So I was exposed to that kind of environment really young. Yeah. Like my dad was... Burning couches, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, they have... They, <laughs> They have that in the student district. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can walk through the rows of houses where the students live days after a party, and it's just mm-hmm. like 
you know, post-apocalyptic stuff all over the place. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> but, on fire. Yeah, they have that, but it's still a very pretty town. There was so that um, movie made about it, Scarfies. Yeah, yeah. You must have been all about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my mother was in anthropology department. Anthropology is like, well, let's just say it's the study of bones, but um, it's human history and, you know, they had like labs full of like, you know, preserving them and storing them. Yeah, like New Zealand wildlife and news and then gotcha. whatever they could find of like ancient stuff. Right? Yeah, <laughs> um, and that was super interesting. I kind of patrolled around there when I was like, like yeah, that sounds super. Twelve year old like causing trouble and <laughs> <laughs> looking at stuff and all that. Um, the people when they, when I was a kid looking at the adults who were there, hmm. they seemed either super super adult like really formal and professorial or whatever yeah or they seemed like hippies or something right okay um when i look at adults now yeah i just see people behaving like children yeah. like what i like when we converse to each other it doesn't seem that like sophisticated adults. or we just talk it just feels like the nature of people is slightly different than what i expected it would be i, I, I think you so know? yeah I, I, yeah, there's something about that. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a lack of the internet that kind of made the kind of behavior more homogenous. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, definitely like when I look at my parents, they they could be from like another time. Yeah, yeah. Like behavior-wise, thought pattern-wise, I'm seeing things in my parents where um, they're just getting into like watching YouTube videos and I'm like, hey man, this... <laughs> this may not be good information. Like, I know you're really up to date on it, but it, it may be, like, slanting your opinion in a certain uh, way. Anyway, they can't seem to, like, scrutinize um, news sources. It seems to be the thing that I'm... Are your parents, like, the TV generation, or just slightly... They're, they're, they're much... They're a little older. I think they were born in the 40s. Right. Oh, um, my parents' generation. Yeah. Um, my dad was 1945, so, yeah. Yeah, I think my parents had to, like... The internet really came in and is very much shaping a lot of the topics that they like to talk about nowadays. Have you heard this thing where it's kind of a joke, but it's actually it's actually bitter as well. Okay. There's something kind of nasty in this thing. Um, where if you're a smart person, let's say you're, you're average smartness, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> then most, uh, like half the people you meet are going to be dumber than you. Half right. the people, yeah. yeah, and the other half would be smarter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how it works. It's kind of most people fall on the halfway point, right? Well, we like to think we're in the smarter category, but uh, it's actually like when I, if okay within grinding gear games, if you measure smartness, I'm not in the smart category at all. <laughs> like yeah. this, is, this is no Dude, way. It's, I, I it's lack, such a bullshit. I lack massive like compartments of stuff that other people just take for granted. But have you, have you also seen <laughs> I feel, that thing? I, I actually feel like literally brain damaged or or talking to some mental people? retardation level kind of differences between me and other people really yeah yeah they're so so smart it's, <laughs> dude it's a different yeah, yeah. kind of smart i mean they it's a disciplined thing like they, they've had 20 years of doing whatever they do and mm. they've had time doing whatever i do sure but i've always felt like when i do stuff i'm doing it in a clumsy iterative kind of i won't say artistic way because i've seen artists who are way more practical and efficient at their process than what i ever was right right um, I feel like I've just cave caveman style t- tinkering around, whereas I see people who are super efficiently 
building you're actually looking good at specialists stuff. though you're, you're looking yeah, at specialists yeah, but, yeah. but you're also looking at and comparing yourself to these people that work and you, you know programs are very specific in the way they speak you know they yeah. like when you describe reese yeah he's very much this is what i want to say <laughs> kind of guy but when you talk to an artist and i consider you, yeah you're an artist obviously you, you're thinking you're thinking a little different it's 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 a different like there's that right brain left brain thing yeah. So I tried to learn programming in the sort of traditional sense of, uh, you know, you get a book on JavaScript or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I didn't manage too well. I found this book on, this, I don't know what it's called, but it's more like a how programmers think and like programming. They have a book on that? Yeah, let's say policies or something like this. Like a kind of what makes a good programmer versus not a good programmer. Okay. And that actually started me off in a, a nice way. I don't remember the actual name of it. And it doesn't matter at all. There's a bunch of books like that. Mm. But like actual languages and stuff, I mm. found super hard to get into. Mm. The only one I've ever really made any decent, uh, let's say, uh, discoveries and progress in it was Unreal Script. Yeah, right? the blueprint. Well, in UDK, they actually had Unreal Script, which was like a text formatted right. thing and then they had kismet which was a visual thing so yeah. i started with kismet and i gradually started to pick apart unreal script from examples and all this gotcha and then they switched to unreal which was like so unreal script just went out the window yeah <laughs> so i was like damn <laughs> it was like it's like when you you, you learn action script and flash right yeah. <laughs> and then they just changed it. It. Yeah, yeah. it was like they went on to other some other thing right um, yeah now now they have unreal motion graphics right which is their ui uh, format and it's nice to use. It's very, it's a web kind of oriented. Well, it's a screen based uh, uh, arrangement platform, if that's mm. the right word, mm. with layers and stuff. It's, it's super cool. And mm. uh, so when I learned Unreal, I actually focused on UI and uh, saving like game data. Right, okay. Um, and stuff like the blueprint stuff of like <clears throat> data tables. Data tables like a, you know our configurator, which is like basically like all the items, all the items in the game, yeah. and what are their properties? What are their names? How do you actually look them up by an ID or whatever? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the arguments or properties or whatever you might call it, they they get kind of put into tables. So I learned how that works in Unreal, but yeah. I can't. I could never. I couldn't generalize it into our game at all. Like, well, we have this like thing to do with C plus plus being like it's a source thing, and only certain programmers actually. I'm just not required to do it, mm. right? So we, we also have this kind of Unreal Script-like thing, which is, we call it GL, but it's, it's a sort of simple version of coding yeah. where, where you're kind of hooking up connections between different game objects. Mm-hmm. And like Josiah's super good at it. Dan's pretty good at it, or good, good at it compared to me. Mm. I'm just like, I rarely struggle to even get my head around that at all. I got to the point where I could like make animations play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's always or, good. Or maybe make something render or not render. Okay. Like you know when you You take the skin mesh off. <laughs> you disable an entrance. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is a very basic in Unreal that's something I can do without any trouble whatsoever. Yeah. Right? But in our game it feels kinda hard. Mm. Like unnecessarily cumbersome. Well, but it's actually a super efficient way to do way it. To do it. Yeah. Because it's lightweight, right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean if you're a programmer it's as easy as pie. But for me, I guess I need a visual language or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I found You're an I found blueprints to be really friendly to to learn. Yeah. And one of the reasons for that was because, like you mentioned about videos and stuff. Yeah. UDK had an enormous 
well curated set of tutorials for learning that stuff yeah um, i was on the beta for unreal which was this thing called rocket <laughs> <laughs> so i was like man that's that's catchy name um, and it was quite hard to learn because at the time there wasn't documentation or anything yeah well, um, how'd, you, how'd you learn it well for some reason they sent it to me i think it was because i was a teacher right and uh, i i managed to get some news about it and i wrote to them and said uh can i join the beta and they sent it to me and so i actually you know used it in class yeah and then it developed I mean, they, they released the full thing. Yeah. And at first you had to pay for it. And my, the school where I was teaching was kind of like, grumble, grumble, <laughs> pay for this. And then they released it for free. Like, Oh, wait, well, after after you, do you remember? It. Do you remember there was the Unreal is now free? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, the kite that, demo. Yeah, that was like a massive ground shift. And yeah, like, of course. Unreal 2 was like licensed pretty much. Yeah. It was hard to That was the million to. dollar engine. Yeah. Engines were really obscure to me when I was like wanting to get into games. Yeah. Like Tomb Raider 3 had a engine or an editor, sorry, not an engine. Yeah. It had the available editor where you could actually make your own Tomb Raider map. Right. But it was impossible to figure out how to use. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a couple of PDFs on making, they call it BSP, right? It's a little binary space partition box thing. Mm. Um, so you could make these cube levels. Mm. But if you wanted to do stuff like a triggered event with water going up I and see. down and all the cool stuff you'd actually imagine, yeah. <laughs> it just was nothing, right? So, so I failed badly to, to get in. Like most people would say, oh, I get onto games through modding. I was like, fuck modding, is this impossible? <laughs> <laughs> because you came at it from the Tomb Raider angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was trying to make games in, like the we had a a Sanyo computer, which mm. was one of those with a green screen. At the time, my uncle had an Apple IIe. Right. So my dad and him would have like, arguments on which one's better, <laughs> an actual PC versus Apple. Yeah. And uh, so, so on on the the Sanyo thing, they had it was DOS, and you could actually you get these magazines with type it type it out kind of style things, yeah. and like, Clan of the Cave Bear and all these kind of weird like text based. So I tried making a text-based adventure, but mm. with a few pictures. Mm. And was, I was trying to get the pictures like a gate to like open. Yeah, there's this thing with with level designers and gates. <laughs> <laughs> so like way back, and when I was like, I was like literally, literally twelve or eleven this. like years old, yeah. and trying to trying to you know make like an eleven-year-old now, I'd be like ah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, still dealing with this. Yeah, because like. Like, I'm often jealous of people at work when they're playing with like substance painter and stuff. Like, because mm. in substance painter you want to paint with metal, mm. you paint with metal. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> like, just in the old the days, brush. there was there wasn't any thing like paint with metal. <laughs> it was like you had to like make it look like metal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somehow. Yeah. And there was a little little information on how to make it look like metal. Yeah. You you bump the spec value up. Yeah. That's how you make it look like metal. Yeah. I mean, the cynical argument about this is a lie. You're not really learning about the real properties of metal, like the light. The yeah, light which is why PBR is such an awesome yeah. shift. Yeah. The, the artists we have at work are like way, they're like way over that hump. Like the PBR thing. Yeah. Like, like when you look at Dane's stuff, and it's like. It's, it's metal that looks like it's a certain age <laughs> and, and, and in the lighting that it's in it looks like this, it's uh, like dullness or whatever is correct and all that yeah I mean, that's fucking amazing I, I can't achieve that you, I can do like storyboard quality graphics now. That's, <laughs> that's about it <laughs> okay yeah I even don't have the patience like I sit down for a, if I sit down for more than an hour on a picture right I'm on, I start going crazy from like wanting to do something else right this is why yeah. doodling is so cool yeah I, I have books of doodles yeah yeah doodles are, are, are the best <laughs> but i often wonder like like this is my desk there's a book uh, it's actually full 
yeah. of just like stuff that looks like a madman droid. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it literally doesn't look like it relates to anything. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not readable. Like it looks kind of nice. It's yeah. a sort of graphic. Okay. Page to page looks kind of cool. Do you remember seeing like oh, Sean's, sure. Sean's drawings? Yeah. 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 It's cool that you keep like you still draw. Like I, I think it's so valuable to um, to use like a visual communication medium and, and to iterate like that is is really powerful. Yeah. I like I really hope you go further into that with your. Yeah. I'd love to get back to doing, uh, let's just say, environment concept art for now, but more like uh, like a lot of the requirements of the game industry is when you do a concept art. I'm talking. I'm specifically thinking of the stuff we're doing. Uh, where they're, they're needing to send it to an outsourcer mm. and you pretty much have to do a full render. I don't think so, but keep going. But that's what is happening in our company, right? You, no. Like for props and stuff, they they almost have like a, a photographic looking example. Some, yes. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas I tend more towards like that, you know, Feng Zhu. Feng Zhu is this guy in Singapore that has a school for concept art, mm. which I'm always impressed by. Mm. And his stuff is more that kind of grayscale Scott Robertson traditional media kind of look yeah i'm way more into that aesthetically yeah but yeah i still i i'm kind of halfway in between digital because i use digital tools i don't use copic markers and all that because mm. they're expensive and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they run out and, and you, pay, you have to buy paper for it like the copic markers like i don't know how much they cost but like in malaysia they're super cheap mm. so there it was great to use them yeah but here in new zealand they're like I don't know, a hundred bucks for a set or something. Like yeah. That. And and then you have to buy special paper and that's expensive. Yeah. yeah. And you use it up really, really fast. Right. So it's, yeah. like, it's just not, it's cost prohibitive to even draw. Yeah. You know? Here, here in New Zealand. So why not just use, uh, well, I'm quite into procreate on the iPad. Mm. I think it's nice cause you can play it back. <laughs> <laughs> you can see a little video of your <clears> stuff. Yeah. It makes a really nice gift. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And, and obviously I have a license of ZBrush, which I hardly ever use, but I, I learned how to use ZBrush when I was teaching. Yeah. But I've never been paid to make models because there's always people around that are just way better at it. So huh, but there's no need for me you, to do you it. You also know that like practice is good and yeah. like it, it makes perfect. Yeah. Well, I thought about that for a long time. Like practice makes perfect. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh damn, I have a ZBrush license. It's kind of thousand dollars. I should be using ZBrush every day. But, yeah. But actually, it's not really like that because you know. It's a one-time thing. I pay ten dollars a month to Microsoft for Word over yeah. a, a few years. That's adding up, right? So, yeah. so the argument there is I should be writing every time, right? So, <laughs> so what it boils down to is I sort of thought, what can I actually produce by myself? Mm. And writing was what I kind of gravitated towards in the end. Yeah, I tried comic books. And I did a comic, and I kind of liked it, but nobody else was into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that was a complicated kind of decision and everything, but um, so one day. I asked Jackson. Jackson's a colleague, and we actually worked in a previous company, blah, blah, blah. But I asked him, like, if you were to write a book, what would you write about? And he was like, uh, portals. And he sounded real, like, real sure of himself. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I've never even considered a book about portals before. That's interesting. Yeah. But actually, like, okay, I, so I went ahead and did this. <laughs> but Interesting. During, I have a thing about portals. During that, that, yeah, I heard that portal fiction is one of the most genre cliched um Publishers hate it. Right, okay. They don't want to... I didn't know this. Yeah, publishers don't want to hear your portal fiction story. <laughs> um, but in the end, the story that I wrote, it has portals in it, and yeah. the way Path of Exile has portals in it, but they're not the point of the story, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I started to get... Like, I was talking about physics earlier. I, I started to try to, like, get into a wizard kind of mindset of, like... How to explain try, try How would a wizard try to explain 
you know magic and phenomena and physics and stuff like that with mm. their limited understanding they don't have they don't have the tools that we have right mm. so the point of the book is like you know there's the periodic table mm. so my book is well the first book is the wizard's harvest table and it's about the table of runes mm-hmm. that they use to make sense of demon magic mm-hmm. i don't know why i write about demons <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like uh demons are cool well because demons are like elves right well they're, like, they're very much um they, they mean different things to different people when you say oh the book's about demons most people would think oh you mean like demons and Baldur's gate right and i'm like no, that's not what I mean at all. I, I'm picturing I mean, like hell demons, Satan, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is a fictional world, so it doesn't. You're thinking it, monsters. They're more like actual RPG monster demons, okay. uh, to be honest. But let's say they're, they're the fundamental creature of the world. Mm. They're what stuff is made out of before people came along. Right. Like dinosaurs out of people, that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there are yeah. many different, like. Yeah. Subspecies of demons. Yeah, like they're just older beings, and they look like monsters. So mm-hmm. people think they are demons. Okay, but they're just a creature. Yeah. Cool, and they have different lifespans and all that kind of stuff. It's you know, you, one day you asked me, well, "How does the magic work in your story?" And I said, "Well, it just works." <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're like kind of, every other fantasy. Yeah. Well, there's this thing that I, I only learned this like f- the formal way to express this recently. It's like there's a hard science fiction and the soft science fiction. Mm. Like Star Wars is soft science fiction. Mm. And uh, 2001 maybe is hard uh, science. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing with magic. Like um, Sanderson is this very famous. Yeah, yeah, guy. I've heard this guy. I have actually not read his stuff, but I did watch a talk he gave, which yeah. is quite interesting. As I understand, it, he's a hard magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The rules are explicit and clear. It follows them you know, in the narrative. Yeah. And then there's sort of soft magic, like Dune, for example. Mm-hmm. Is I, Dune soft? I'm not too sure of the... You know, fundamental rules of June. <laughs> it's all about um, spices, is what I hear. Yeah, yeah, but that they have the Bene Gesserits and stuff like the, they're Shape. they're nuns effectively that have magic powers. Right, it's, but but it's because they're of voodoo the... witches. You know. But that's because but that's of the about spice, all. Right? That's about all you get. Yeah, it's not all the spice. And, mm. Yeah, you don't you don't get all the rules explained to you. They're, I, I they're thought... just a tradition, and they have like uh, powers. But right. with and they the, have this box you put your hand in, and it's like painful. <laughs> That's like the the what is it? The pivotal scene for the whole story, really. So. With June, hold on, I'm just going back there. Um, <laughs> wait, the the spice is a thing that like messes people up and gives them like psychic abilities, right? Yeah, yeah, and then people are like OD on that stuff, and and then you have this like this royal group of people that are just like out of their mind on spices <laughs> yeah, yeah well also spices like the it's like the fuel of the pilot or the, the it, it forms the brain of the pilot of the spaceships that can just tell a flight right right and without it you, no good. you don't go anywhere yeah yeah <laughs> so you know that's the, the basics of why june planet is so special yeah that story right What's really cool is we're going to get like a decent Dune movie. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that. <laughs> I'm super excited for that because like, I was excited for Blade Runner and I was satisfied with it. I mean, it was not without problems, but it was still decent. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was good. More of that sort of stuff. Mm. I mean, I'm amazed at the stuff that gets turned into films. Like, why? Why my books are not bad? Make <laughs> them into films, let's say, or games or something. So like, I'm tired of seeing like really, really terrible stuff get made into films. Yeah. So, yeah, fun me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding here, but to some degree. But, but have you have you thought of reading that guy's book with the hard hard magic? People at work are always talking about it. Um, at some point, I'm planning to. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't come my way yet. Um, so the opposite in soft magic category is also like a soft fantasy and hard fantasy. So mm. Lord of the Rings is hard fantasy, apparently. And Harry s- Potter, soft fantasy. Studio Ghibli stuff, like Spirited Away, is yeah. soft fantasy. Okay. And there's a video on YouTube about this particular thing. It's mm. really good analysis um, by a guy who's explaining, like, like Miyazaki himself is explaining this thinking. I think you linked me to that. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> so what he, what he says pretty much is, I want the freedom to be a little loose and fairy tale. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally the category I want to be in. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about art. Where are you with art? Yeah. Um, do, do you think you'll be using it a whole bunch for your, your new job? I mentioned that I liked Edgar Dega. He was really into chalk. I tried out chalk rendering and stuff when I was younger. Yeah. And chalk is super satisfying to, to use. Mm. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to jump into playing with chalk or anything, <laughs> but, but it's like, it's amazing that you can use a crumbly, difficult to use medium to produce a great picture and all this mm. kind of stuff. And, um, I re- recently saw this like bio, not really a biography, but more of a analysis of the life and times of, of Manet. Manet was like a precursor to the Impressionists. Okay. At the time that I was studying out at school and art school, I think it's maybe a, like your education exposure kind of thing, like you get Impressionists kind of early, right? Mm. Um, I learned a lot about Impressionism and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was going to look at Manet paintings and they were very strange. Yeah. They're kind of loaded with, you know, the real life of the painter encoded in the work kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of a Manet. Olympia is the one where there's a girl on a sofa and there's a black servant and there's a cat in it. Okay. It was shown in Paris at the salons and everybody freaked out because it was like roughly painted or something okay. <laughs> so it was like it's one of the world's most famous um controversial paintings yeah of a naked lady because it was going to, towards that abstract style well why, why was it yeah. so controversial um you know they say the mona lisa's expression has got this kind of haunting mm. so the olympia um facial expression is quite mocking right okay so everyone's kind of affronted by this i like, see yeah um, so that's one of them. Are you trying to say that you're you're thinking about getting into oil painting again? No, no. I, what I I kind of go. Well, we don't really have that anymore. Like, yeah. You go on art station and you see these amazing, amazing, technically. Pe- great, people are still doing that. Technically great paintings or, or let's say images. Um, yeah. A lot of it's got the digital stamp pretty strongly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's traditional media categories on art station as well. I think, but. Um, there's not a lot of it that super grabs the world's attention these days. It, it yeah. is very much digital. Yeah. Like. And there's so much amazingness to it. It's kind of like, why doesn't it grab your attention? Like, a lot of it like, feels like these are samples of like their studies or their samples, like mm. folio pieces or whatever, mm. as opposed to like great works of art, let's say. So I'm kind of interested in You're that. saying like t- to have this timeless quality? Yeah, or just deep messages that blow everybody out of the water it, it's so yeah. difficult because of you know if you have i don't know a million of the best artists on the planet making awesome art what does that look like yeah. look at art station like that's what <laughs> it looks like true true 
Well, when I was uh, trying to figure out what art was, mm. I noticed there's like the sort of graphic design and illustration oriented crowd, mm. and then there's like you know what you might call the fine art oriented crowd. Yeah. So there's, there's the nobility and and uh, poverty <laughs> usually mm. of the fine art crowd compared to the financial success but lame boringness of the commercial. Who, who's an example of lame success? Would you consider like Banksy one of those guys? I don't know much about Banksy. I mean, I don't think anybody does. Have you seen Exit through the gift yeah, shop? Yeah, I was going to say that is that is the thing I like most about Banksy stuff, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's the provocative thing that I'm talking about. Like, the thing that just makes a, a massive impact on people that come across that. Yeah. Like everybody I've talked to that's seen that film, just because that film was intense and amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that, that character is like, awesome. I like finding that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's nothing to do with what I try to make at all. Yeah. Like I keep referring to the tinker and everything. But, yeah. Um, may- maybe one day I might manage to pull off a cool thing, but <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I like to think that my book has like kind of got a, an element of that, but I haven't. And Reese is the only one. <laughs> it's given me like actual super positive feedback. Everyone right. else is kind of like, eh. I, um, I, I have, and, uh, I'm not a very strong reader anyway. Um, yeah, so. I, don't, I don't think reading now is actually a thing. <laughs> reading? I, literally, um, it, it seems to be super... Uh, Audiobook oriented. Hard to even sell. A, like, I'm ethically against selling print books in a ways, but... Um, you know, you, just think, because of materials? Yeah, t- okay. totally. Um, but you're okay with like server farms pumping out and storing like audiobooks and delivering that? Mm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, yeah, I guess there's an argument there. <laughs> That's like the, the Elon Musk thing. Like, a, he says he's very environmentally friendly, but his factories are actually yeah off producing the grid. these batteries and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe what Greta Thunberg has got a better argument about that kind of stuff than me. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the expert on resource management, but like you know, information has to exist somewhere, and I think that digital formats are better than print. print. Yeah, definitely. Even you can put a book in a shelf, and after a while, it's no longer useful. Yeah, you know. Whereas digital, so long as you don't put on a tape or, or a magnet on, <laughs> <laughs> digital formats are around forever, and, and that's the point, right? I, I think probably the cost of a data center is relatively good. Yeah, compared, compared to, to chopping the equivalent amount like... of data on paper. Yeah, and, sh- and shipping it around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm with okay. You. So shipping books is another thing. It's prohibitively expensive to ship books. Right. So it's like. I'm not even going to try doing that. So I recorded, well, I didn't record it. Um, I hired someone to narrate the audio book that I did. Yeah. And they did a good job. But I don't know if the book's super presentable. What in a way? Well, we we wanted to get like a a voice which is like a a lot of the characters are men Mm. and they have low voices. and, Mm. and, And this guy's got quite a, he does... His name's Bjorn. He does uh, game voiceovers and stuff. Very cool. Very, very good. Um, but he's Swedish and English second language stuff. So the book's got that kind of like a the, Swedish the accent great too. tonality. And his voice is clear. And he's also a radio announcer. Mm. So unlike me, sorry, <laughs> he, he talks very clear. But the problem is sometimes you'll wreck a sentence um, because of basically of accent. English is a second language yeah. stuff. I, I would have to spend money to get retakes done to mm. really get it good and that takes time and but does that take away from the the actual content of the book 
I think that anything which is red where you maybe get jolted out of it is a problem. So I think the recording oh, is... Oh, for you personally. A bit of that. Yeah. Like you envision it a certain oh. way and it doesn't come across that way. No, I mean, I mean, like if you were a listener to it, mm. you'd probably lose the thread of the flow of the story if you suddenly get hiccuped by basically mistakes, right? So, I, I see. Yeah, so... I'm not sure whether it's ready to go out, but my feeling is it needs more work. More work. Okay. Um, is it released? Uh, there's an edit that's complete, if okay. that's what you mean. Yeah. I haven't like tried yeah. to market it. I Ma- see. Marketing is also the bane of yeah, uh, you gotta spend cre- some creative work, right? Yeah. You could complete a beautiful piece of work, and if you don't try to actually sell it, nobody in the world will know about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. So I, I think I definitely have that. That's a step I need to go figure out. Marketing? You could always pay for it. Yeah, I mean, that's what marketing is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I have no experience at it. Yeah. Facebook, bro. You <laughs> just get on there. Yeah, post a comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can pay for ads, man. Oh, I see. Yeah, so I've got two books in an audiobook. Mm. Yeah. So I'm kind of liking that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is like embracing obscurity. Mm. There's a certain kind of... Uh, what's the word? Um let's say artistic nobleness about not caring about money or success or what other people even think. Yeah. And a lot of like a lot of scientists and people that contribute to the field of their uh, science or whatever Mm. um, are completely unknown. Mm -hmm. If you're in a field of, you know, particular, like say math, so, you know, you know, James Clark Maxwell, probably, right? Um, He's an electromagnetic forces guy. Yeah. But, you know, if you're not in that field, you probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gets more, um, you know, most people only know a limited amount of stuff at best anyway. Sure. Right? So embracing obscurity in, like, the village lifestyle is, like, maybe it's with aging. Uh, it's, like, more and more tempting. And I think the reason it's more and more tempting is because, like, you, you can, like, you know Dr. Seuss? Um, the, the guy with the hat? Yeah, can <laughs> apparently he did a lot of work that is like never seen publicly and it's dark and personal and all that right and you know you enjoy Dr. Seuss when you're a kid mm. but probably the more meaningful artist is the more darker stuff right yeah <laughs> and some of it's real moody I mean it looked like it was hobby craft and tinkering around for him as well right you know I kind of like that more yeah. Th- that there's that darkness there yeah well th- there's this personal stuff behind what the world sees that that's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like this is the example that <clears throat> came to mind. Right. Yeah. Embracing obscureness. Yeah. Okay. Can can you get a hold of those things? Get a hold of the, those books. Um, the, the other Seuss books. Internet is. Oh yeah, search right terms. Yeah, go look for it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Way way back earlier, we talked about Maxwell Render, and I want. I, I was hoping we were gonna we were gonna do a kind of video one of the things Maxwell Render has is a gallery of like you know cool examples of people's work yeah and one of them is like a thing that looks like a diatom which is a kind of very small sea creature uh, that you find at the bottom of the ocean you, have to, you can only see it under a microscope right or at least through a magnifying glass I'm not sure uh, but anyway so, um, so this thing is like a, a interpretation of a diatom yeah it's got like displacement and hair and it's a ball shape with like cool uh, sci-fi looking thing but it's rendered in a way that it, as if it was seen through the lens of a microscope with that vignetting and, and you know 
old like nineteenth century grayscale photos have got lots of hairs in the mm-hmm. in the just imp- imperfections. They're, ke- they're chemically produced pictures. Yeah. And then they have imperfections, yeah. yeah. So the ringer ca- captures a whole lot of that. And, and what what it's trying to do really is capture the look of the illustrations by this guy called Ernst Haeckel, mm. who was a, a illustrator for like um, natural history kind of stuff, where he would look through a microscope at a droplet of water or whatever, and mm. look at the creatures inside of it, or the diatoms or whatever. And there are all these crazy outlandish alien-looking patterns and structures that are just mind-blowingly detailed mm. like complicated fractally kind of stuff and yeah you draw them meticulously carefully yeah you might want to look at this later because yeah it, I'll, it I'll is put it on the um yeah, the episode. I'll, I'll, i did a lot of like amazed looking at his work i can't even say it was study right <laughs> was just like, oh, when i was an art student i was just blown away by this stuff and the point there's, there's actually a bbc s- series on I don't remember what it's called. It's basically about drawing, mm. right? And it's all these weird edge cases of drawing like this guy drawing through a microscope or like the guy who drew really accurate pictures of the moon mm. um, in the same kind of way where okay. he'd, he'd draw sections of the moon because <laughs> a telescope, right? Yeah. And so he'd just draw a little section then he'd compile it all onto this massive, super accurate drawing of the surface of the moon. Yeah. So I really like that kind of stuff. Do you think you'll end up wanting to pursue that at some point well i think i'd like to do it within the computer game context yeah you know? uh, whether it's a studio work where there's a bunch of people all driving towards something or if it's a personal thing i don't know okay tom i think i think we should wrap up you yeah, um well we went we went <clears throat> right you know how like i mean podcast has got this thing where you start off with the basics and formals and then you start you by the end, like a comedy show, you go into the really crazy end of the spectrum. Yeah. I think we did that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we definitely did that. <laughs> cool, I'm going to wrap up here. Thank you very much for um, tuning in. Um, email, yeah. all that good stuff. Tom, do you have like social media things that you want to plug maybe? No. No, not at all. No. I mean, we can put in the comments if you're going to post any info with it. Yeah. We can. I post pictures of dogs on social media. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not, not that Man, I think um, we're, we're really going to miss you uh, at Grindr Gear. I miss you guys too. And it was really good working yeah. with you. But I'll also like, keep in touch. Yeah, for sure. I just probably won't be in the actual office chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. All right. Yeah. Uh, see you, everybody.